The Hurling Pod on OTB Sports. I know you listened to James Cahill's podcast with Will Darren Hall. They asked James who was going to win. He said Galway. Well, why do you think? Because I just really, really want him to win. <laughs> Subscribe to the GA podcast feed on the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it's half past seven. It's Monday morning. Jar and Owen are with you all the way through until 10. Owen, good morning to you. Good morning, Jar. How is your, your second home, your original home? How the do you original consider, home. How do you consider yeah. London these Oof. days? Yeah, my, the, the original home, I guess you could say. Kind of feels... Uh, the OG un, home. Un, unpatriotic to say such a thing. Well, no. I I, that is the know, truth. You're, you're uh, a tangled, complex individual. Can't, I can't just shred my birds here, can I? Well, you could, but like, it'd be kind of pointless. That would be, that would be a very stupid thing to do as well. Homer Where, Simpson-esque. If my passport ever... Uh, it would be Homer Simpson-esque. If my passport ever went missing, that would be a stupid thing to do. Uh, how was it? It was good. Great weekend. I was uh, telling Colin before we came on air, managed to track down the hurling in a London pub. We still have this thing where people in England still aren't fully familiar with hurling, it turns out. You know, the, the question... The very stereotypical question of, what's this game you're watching, mate? And then the horrified face of somebody else who wasn't sure what was on the big screen still happens. I didn't. I thought that that was like a very 2012 meme, but uh, in the year of our Lord 2022, people in England still don't know what hurling is. So in an Irish pub, with it wasn't uh, an Irish pub, so maybe that was the issue. Okay. It was, yeah. And the hurling's on. Yeah. And you asked for it to be on. I I rang up in advance and I was like, "Are you going to be showing the hurling?" I'd got a, a recommendation, right? And that they were like, "If nobody's watching the South Africa Wales game, then yes." So, um, yeah, it, 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 there wasn't really much interest in, in the rugby, even though that had just started to get really good. South Africa just started to make a little bit of a comeback at the start of the second half. They, um, they were sound enough to put on the main event for us. And, uh, and how was it? What was that viewing experience like? like? I mean, it depends on your point of view. Like in the back of my head, uh, I was just thinking back to our quick picks on Friday morning where all five of us went for Claire as uh, Kilkenny took that prediction and absolutely eviscerated it with their kind of horrifying display of being Kilkenny once again. That's, that, that's probably what my experience was. was. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but uh, you seem to have lost your train of thought completely there. What's going on? No, no, nothing. I'm, I'm just interested in, in what your uh, takeaways from London were after all this time. Uh, like, I mean, my takeaways from London was that it was a very enjoyable experience, yeah. Um, as uh, Like, I mean... That's that's really it, you know. After all this time, uh, after what what's it been? Maybe two months since I've been back over there. It's uh, still the same place, still tipping along nicely. Yeah, okay. The um, uh, JP McManus Pro Am uh, is on today and tomorrow. The big breaking news over the last twenty four hours is that all the headline writers got to use the words Groundhog Day because if if Limerick had been beaten, they wouldn't have been able to use it, right? Because that would have been technically, you know, very rare and therefore not Groundhog Day. Uh, yeah, well, that, that's for sure. Like the, this will be the sort of context to Limerick's greatest ever All Ireland yesterday, and I'm not sure if it's uh, a situation where where Galway will be overly happy to have played a part in all of that. But it definitely feels that the last couple of years, whether it was just COVID, whether it was just the fact that there was nobody there to watch them, kind of saunter to two All Irelands in really impressive form, has that kind of like given Limerick a bit of a kick this year, where this was always going to be the most important All Ireland of of their four and five years, doing it in normal times once again. And not only that, it feels like they're going to have to do an All-Ireland in pretty challenging circumstances in ways that they didn't have to, to find last year or the year before. And I think they're going to have to try and find that again in the final because 
uh, I think we we slept on Kilkenny a little bit, uh, to say the least. I did. I didn't. I didn't see that level of performance coming. It's not a obviously. I think they were one point favourites to win on Saturday. I don't think too many people were predicting uh, a Kilkenny win, and certainly I didn't see anybody predicting a Kilkenny just a washout in favour of Kilkenny. So I think that points towards a, a final that Limerick are going to be under serious pressure again, but they will rightly be favourites for. So it's going to be... Uh, uh, if they end up with Liam McCarthy again this year, I think this will probably be the sweetest of them all, the best of them all for, for the Limerick fans and for the players. Yeah, um, the fact that it's going to be Kilkenny in the final is going to help with that. Right, here's what's coming up between now and 10 o'clock. Our performance rankings in just a moment. Alan Quinlan live in glorious Technicolor from down under at 10 past 8. Sports pages with Carl and uh, Gregor Paul is going to join us for more rugby at 8.50. Kieran Carey's going to join us at 10 past 9 to look back on the hurling and more hurling from Tommy Walsh as well but at uh, 7.35 let's get into the performance rankings you know that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance probably should have won the game based on the second half performance is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup maybe not OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head that performance is was just lacked that intensity Yes, indeed, it is the Gillette Performance Rankings and uh, every week we go through the um, the bad, the good, the grand and uh, we are brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day uh, and every week we give you uh, the chance to win a Gillette Labs shaving kit to be with a chance of winning that. You can uh, just let us know who you think should make the performance rankings and the best place to enter is on the Off The Ball Instagram page. You can see the comments box in our story for suggestions. We've got loads of suggestions in over the last few days and I guess the best place to start in the red as you can see there is Irish rugby after the performance on Saturday which doesn't feel overly surprising or shocking or any sort of uh, OTT word you want to use in relation to it it kind of feels that this was about the level that we expected it wasn't as bad as the scoreline suggested I would say like wouldn't get overly carried away with it uh, Ireland could have been closer the All Blacks weren't very good they were they were good they were much better than Ireland but they can hit another level which is kind of terrifying ahead of Dunedin this weekend and I think all in all if you take this on uh, in isolation in a stadium where the All Blacks haven't lost in 28 years worse things could have happened and I'm not saying it's good I'm not saying it's even grand it was bad and it still could have been a lot worse, which probably tells you all you need to know about where Ireland are at the moment and the expectations going into next year where they will need to undo a big team, one of the top two teams in the world, top three teams in the world, in order to break that glass ceiling. The evidence of the last week is that that glass ceiling ain't going to be shattered next year. Isn't it good of the All Blacks to just remind us that the uh, once every four years going out at a World Cup quarterfinal or before it is coming our way, almost irrespective of what we do at this point, so what's the point in hoping? Abandon hope, all ye who enter here. Isn't that what happened? You're like, it wasn't that bad. Really? Was it not that bad? We played, we had like loads of possession, loads of territory. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the scoreline was not close in the end. Yeah. And there was nothing we could do to interrupt the pattern. Like the thing is though, the uh, possession and territory in a different day would have narrowed the scoreline a little bit more. Yeah, a little bit more. But like to the point where we're going to win the game? No, I didn't say that. I just think that it just would have like reflected like the scoreline when you looked at it, like looks like a hammering. And it was a hammering though. They scored twenty eight points in about three minutes, and we couldn't stop them. You no, know, okay, so it was a hammering. But there's there's different levels of hammerings here. There's a sixty nil. That was the, literally the Ireland. Uh, it was literally uh, Ireland's uh, last game. Yeah, but we had a man in, sent in, off after five minutes. In, so that's that's, that's 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 not a real score. We never get beaten sixty nil. That like that's why that that happened once. I know, but like I mean, Ireland got players sent off and not lost game sixty nil. Um, never against the All Blacks, right? <laughs> I mean, and 
and also not after five or six minutes the way that that one was at the in the last test. I think the sixty nil is is a bad example, right? That was a fairly stereotypical. Okay, well, yeah. that was a, that was actually fairly stereotypical. Plucky Ireland, we go out, we do well for fifteen minutes, and then we get absolutely destroyed. And then afterwards, we're like, oh, we're not that far away. But actually, the truth is, we're miles away. Where's everybody talking about our world class front row right now? Where's all that nonsense? that we puffed up ourselves with, oh, look, we're, you know, we've got this great, everything in Irish rugby is perfect. It works perfectly. The kids come through the school system, they play for Leinster, they play for Ireland, it's the same style, it's the same system. Apparently, New Zealand looked at that and went, just do this and this and this. Oh, thanks, uh, La Rochelle, and thanks, Bulls. That's a, that's a good point. We'll do that too. And then they didn't even have to try that hard. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm, I think that's probably true. Like, I, I mean... Nobody's saying that Ireland are on the same level as the All Blacks. My point is just that there are different degrees of hammerings and this wasn't the worst hammering that Ireland could have taken on Saturday. Do you feel like perhaps you're, uh, you know, going a bit easy on them for this? Like, is that not... That's our best team. That's our best team. Like... But I think it's not going easy on them. It's like actually an acceptance of where this team is actually at or what, what Irish rugby can achieve over the next little while because... A quarterfinal of the World Cup. Yeah. Our destiny is to be the same as ever yeah. it was. Like, the, have, you, have you seen anything over the last little while that would suggest that that would change? Like, did you come away from the Six Nations this year thinking, next year's the year? Uh, we've been in better positions after other Six Nations well, going I hope, into a World Cup year. I hope that haven't put it up to France in that game. And, yeah, I think that I hope that having just beaten the All Blacks in November, we would have kicked on from that. But we didn't kick on from that. It appears as if that was a peak. Yeah. Isn't that the point? I guess so. Like, I mean, the the counterpoint to that was that some of the players, and I'm, I'm saying some, of, not all of them, some of the players were were exciting, and they still are exciting. And I'm talking about the the young hookers in particular that kind of we, we uh, pinned our hopes on for a period of time, saying she there's, there's like two a superhero. players. And when Kelleher comes back, I mean, there's two players you can you can you can pin your hat on there, and that that was maybe informing it a little bit. There was like. Um, in fairness, we haven't seen them enough, but there was like a, a tranche of Ulster players coming through in the, the backs especially, which hopefully we'll see over the next few years that, that we're giving hope. And that's kind of what you want. You look at a, a team in the, the present and hope that they can get better over the next little while. Yeah, but it, the, unfortunately the next little while isn't really the next little while. It's like the next six games and that's it to get to the World Cup. Like, maybe it's not this World Cup. It's the World Cup after. We've got a five-year plan in place here and actually it's World Cup 2020, blah, 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 blah. whatever the next one is. Hmm. Where like, is that one going to be? Do we know? Uh, I have no idea. Is that, a, is that the, it's the American and Canada one? Oh, that one's confirmed, yeah. yeah. That, is, that is true. So, like, what were you expecting on Saturday morning? Um, I was expecting us to be able to, under whatever the circumstances, it, so if, if all is going well, I was expecting us to be able to drag New Zealand into a dogfight and keep the score close. I was expecting our defensive structure to hold up. I was expecting our set piece to work. I was expecting our tackles not to be missed. I was expecting us not to knock the ball on as much as we did. Yeah, now there, those are things that you can kind of point to. I'm, like, I think it's, I don't know, I, I think that there, I, I, there's a gulf between these two teams, isn't there? But there shouldn't be, really. Like, why, why is there? We, we just beat them relatively well when they were here the last time. And so, even if there is a gulf between them, we have enough rugby experience and knowledge and nous to be able to drag a team into something that they don't want, as opposed to uh, doing what we did, which no, I'm 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 doing the glass half empty reading of this because I, there's a lot of glass half full. We just got annihilated, and everyone was like, "Oh, this is grand." It's a bit like the meme of the dog in the fire. Yeah, it like 
you know, is it, it though like a, is, it, is anybody it, it, saying it it's is. grand? Like it's, yeah, everybody's it's everybody's saying, actually saying saying you know, it could have been worse is not the same as saying it, it, it's well, grand. Well, I I I I. I see and hear a lot of people talking about the positives from it and a lot of people getting great experience and certainly the, the, the upbeat message from the captain and the coach afterwards was the refereeing was a bit off and, and like I think it definitely was and, and maybe the refereeing transforms the game maybe there is a possibility that you start pinging them in the rooks and we have more time in the ball and all of a sudden we can do what we did to them and, and that it's as simple as that I don't know there's a possibility that's the case I doubt it and I certainly am not hanging my hat on it but there's been a, a a wellspring of positivity about the experience and um, and what we're learning and it's like nah, nah I don't know I just feel uncomfortable with that like uh, yeah it's an, like it's, a, it's an interesting kind of question of perspective on, all, on it all like there's definitely a part of me that's thinking to myself you know what <laughs> uh, find out how you react to the toughest possible situation find out how you react when Michael Bent is literally getting called up to, to training um, in that situation in the toughest place in the world to go for a summer tour add those extra Maori games put yourself under severe pressure over the course of it part of me definitely thinks that that is a good way to go because what's the point on finding out that you're incapable of sustaining that ridiculous level of pressure incapable of sustaining it at the end of next year why not just find it out now why not just add this into the Irish schedule every second year and make these tests as, as tough as possible so that you don't just get humbled every four years you actually get humbled every second year and maybe every so often because you're getting these every second year rather than every fourth year you win one of these tests or you win one of these series that are, that are exceptionally tough granted you're not going to have the All Blacks all the time they went and they won in Australia they went and they won a test in, in South Africa in, in what was it 16 like, and, they, and they won a, a tour in, in Argentina so they've done all that you know like that, that's the thing is that like there's nothing new here really under the sun except that this one has come around in this World Cup cycle uh, let's get to the comments right Fergus Keogh Red's a bit harsh for the rugby 17 really bad minutes but otherwise fairly decent all things considered I haven't heard anybody say it was, it was like okay yeah Andy Jennings hope is all we have Jar. Ireland were over the line three times and denied tries by great defence the All Blacks team are beatable we get special points for not scoring the try over the line do we is that what happens there's like a, a little asterisk goes, oh but we scored three tries that weren't given like Kenny the dad says I don't think we were hammered silly interception try and ball handling at the New Zealand line on three occasions cost us dearly they were more clinical Severis's try counts they put the points on the board and there are seven points. That's what happens when an intercept try happens. If we scored an intercept I, try, everybody would be like, oh, look at that. That's yeah, quality yeah. defending with the pressure we put them under. But that's not what the commentator is saying. Like, they are. They are. They're no. saying that this is grand. The fire no, no, is no, no, raging no. at the door and the dog is smiling off into the distance going, this is grand. I, I actually... So, so well, okay, let, let me think. So, Ireland were going to lose that test anyway on, on Saturday. It's about looking at it in kind of like a, a wider sense of what can they take from that test or, or what is it Why do we accept that, like, though? Well, no, I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying it's about accepting it. I'm saying that say, say if you're taking into account Ireland getting over the line, not dotting the ball down and that basic breakdown in skills, do we then have like this... Do we then look at that moment and say that we need to have a wider conversation around schools, rugby well, we, and we've been having rugby that. We've been and, having and that. And do you know what? We've put of talents. Or do, is actually that there's something that suggests to us that this scoreline could have been closer at the weekend? What we, what we do is we have that conversation in the aftermath of the World Cup every four years and then a little bit of green shoots comes through. There's a successful underage team everybody's like oh everything's going grand and then we get to the World Cup quarterfinal and we get beaten again so you need to have more of those experiences and that conversation needs to be happening more and more but like I I don't know I, I think that I think that those commenters are kind of onto something um, with regards to that and like I mean that um, saying that New Zealand did the commenter saying New Zealand weren't even great there like that's kind of what I think and that's kind of more of a worrying sign as well if you want to kind of feed into your glass half empty argument is that New Zealand could easily just go up another notch the next day and look I'm not going to bring it up again but the 16-0 let's not forget was actually at the end of the tour 
the, re- the, the last time Ireland went on tour to New Zealand, uh, we got evidence that they actually get better as the tour goes on, or maybe Ireland get ground down as the tour goes on. So maybe this will get worse, and maybe your very half-empty glass will be particularly empty, and it won't even be half-full next Monday after next weekend. There is every chance that that happens. I just but- think that there's, there's a, a willingness to make excuses for the rugby team when they fail. Right, and what they need to do is stop making those excuses. And like, I don't. I'm sure the coaching ticket in private are not making excuses. But it did feel like afterwards there was been a lot of happy, clappy. They're tired, whatever. This is inevitable. Sure, they're New Zealand. What can we do but keep the ball poked out to them? Do you know, like, this is supposed to be us, one of the first world nations, going down to show with our very best team. We picked the very best players available to us who may or may not be available around a World Cup but that's the level that you're going to have of a team representing us in the big games in the World Cup because you can't legislate for anything other than having a bunch of your players injured at any one time and we got spanked. We got absolutely spanked in that game. You know, but for this and that and there was a few things and maybe the referee, fair enough. But the truth is we got absolutely spanked and we need to be honest about that before we can fix it, I think. Yeah, it just sounds like you're surprised about what happened on Saturday. Well, you know, the, uh, uh, like, I mean, what, are you not? You, 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 you predicted the 30-point hammering. I don't think after the, uh, the Maori game last week that many people were predicting Ireland were going to uh, put up but the Mar- The Maori game, again, were two different, entirely yeah. different teams. No, I get that. I get that. But there was still the sort of mood music that comes into uh, a test like this. And also, it is kind of like your situation of, like, the, where, where's your depth at? compared to where is New Zealand depth at. And that will always feed into the, the top tier eventually. Ger uh, Luby says, they still are the best team in the world. Playing down there is the hardest tour. This is where we learn about our players. Easy to pick where we were poor, but can we grow and improve? Go back and look at Earl's try in the first half. Really good play with fantastic skills. Pity they couldn't repeat that. And Daniel Casey says, ref was definitely off, but didn't have an impact on the result of the game, I think, although the rook was an issue. New Zealand punished our mistakes. Ruthless as always. So we'll see. I expect, I expect a response from the team next week. I expect them to be able to dig in. And when the second try goes in in a minute, they'll be like, start a scrap. Somebody got down injured. You know, whatever, whatever it is you're supposed to do to interrupt the flow of the game at that point, I would do that. Mm. And I would expect them to have some little tricks for that. Yeah, anyway. Piper's up on Saturday as well. Uh, yeah, I did not know that. I expect South Africa. I expect... Mm. <laughs> I expect... South Africa and New Zealand to both be the winners next weekend. <laughs> uh, our next team in red is Clare. We have uh, only limited room to touch on every team here, so this is a conversation as much about uh, Kilkenny being in the green as it is about Clare being in the red, because, um, yeah, it's hard to know which was most surprising. Like, you talk about trying to interrupt momentum there in the context of the Irish rugby team on Saturday, could Clare have done something more in the first half to try and interrupt the momentum that was clearly going against them, like a complete breakdown uh, on Saturday? Maybe they could have. Like it, it did feel that like maybe that's at the end of the game that they had against Wexford in the All-Ireland quarterfinal, that Wexford lost a few key components of their defence. And maybe that is the true reason why Clare actually got over that All-Ireland quarterfinal. Yes, O'Donnell and Kelly really turned it on in the last quarter of that game. But was the reason why that happened was because Wexford lost a couple of key components of that defence. That that might potentially be the truth now when we look at what that Kilkenny defence did to that Clare attack in just completely nullifying them 
and allowing Kilkenny to completely run riot um, over the course of the entire game. So uh, Mikey Butler, Hugh Lawler, Paddy Deegan, they're the guys getting the credit, and rightly so, in that uh, Kilkenny defence, and they just completely locked up Kelly and Coe, and once you lock up Tony Kelly, chances are you've got to go some way to stop in Clare. What was it, 27, 28 games uh, consecutively in that, that Tony Kelly has scored from playing? That run came to an end at the weekend as a result of, of Mikey Butler's performance. On the flip side of that then was Clare not being able to shut down Kilkenny's attack whatsoever. TJ Owen Cody and your boy Adrian Mullen, who you've been talking up for the last few years, kind of had, certainly when it came to Cody and Mullen, probably their, their finest day so far, uh, certainly in, in recent memory. So I think the four weeks that they had off was absolutely perfect for a team that likes to prepare immaculately for an opponent. I would suggest that Brian Cody has a blueprint. It might not be the blueprint, but he has a blueprint to, to stop Limerick in a couple of weeks. And I'd be surprised if it was anything but uh, another classic between these two teams. Limerick, though, will be angry after what happened in 2019. Uh, like I, I think John Kiley said yesterday that three years is a long time. It doesn't come into play whatsoever. It's three years long enough for Brian Cody to have forgotten what happened in the 2019 final, though, and Richie Hogan's red card and all that. I'm not so sure. I think that actually, in, uh, in, in hindsight, 2019 may actually be something that motivates Kilkenny as much as Limerick. So that's going to be fascinating, but Clare were really bad on, on Saturday. Really, really disappointing. And like, maybe it's the Croke Park factor it, it doesn't sum up everything. There's a whole pile of other reasons to explain that performance, and maybe some that don't even explain that performance. But I would say that they were a little bit like deer in the, the headlights, hitting the big house and and underperforming. It doesn't make any sense. Andy Jennings says Clare were utter tripe, the biggest disappointment of 2022. It's certainly a massive letdown for them and for everybody associated with them because they were so brilliant, so far, so vibrant, so like like I don't know it, when the wides were racking up from plays that they had been scoring from all year, the, the massive raking points from inside their own half or the halfway line that had been tearing other teams apart, when they started drifting wide, that was just the end of it. Like, the the air came out of the balloon so quickly with that. Um, and there was a, a bit of that in Galway, but Galway kept at it. Like, the Galway wides really killed them as well in the end. I know the refereeing decisions definitely did not go their way in that second half and they can they can feel a little bit hard done by about that but at the same time it's the wides that will kill them over the winter when they look back at the video and I just I, there's no explanation for what happened to Clare really like I see um, was it Dalo was saying that the the Munster final took so much out of them but again I don't know they seem to have recovered from that and they seem to have had a bit of time since then maybe they're just not used to playing at this stage of the season those games that fa- I don't know it do- you're, you're grasping and groping for uh, some kind of explanation but it doesn't make any sense no like I, I think that if Clare had won on Saturday we would have been saying that the four week layoff for Kilkenny had them stale and the tune up that Clare had against Wexford and the extra time against Limerick had them perfectly primed for that game I think Paddy Andrews often says it on the football pod this idea of you know being undercooked or overcooked or whatever it is just is is a complete excuse and like the, the dubs had to try and get themselves to a pitch every year after the, yeah. the Leinster Football Championship granted Clare were coming at it from another perspective and the Wexford game was a, was a tough one for sure but I don't think it, it comes anywhere close to explaining what happened it, it is a reason for sure but it's it's not anywhere near the reason and they'll struggle to find a silver bullet the only thing is that they're probably in danger a little bit of throwing the baby out with the bad water this winter and I hope it doesn't happen because it does feel that this has been a bit of an, an arrival season for Clare the problem for them is that they're in the Munster Championship next year yeah. they could easily be grand and finish fourth and their season could be done 
ticket of a Waterford-esque season where they go after the league even more so than they did this year win that silverware and get dumped out of Munster so don't go after the league is the, is the lesson we've all learned the lesson. Right? Uh, like the, the thing is so I think this year was a, a great opportunity for them like Kilkenny just have us uh, bemused quite often and they have done down through the years about how they are the death star that just can never be well, destroyed and you know Co- Cody and Mullen are, are both young hurlers of the year and they're both coming to full maturity yeah. at this stage Mullen's back from his injury had had faced some internal criticism that was one of the stories that we've been talking about over the last month and a half or so and was finding form and you know uh, found it and like Cody's devastating do you know there's a the, they can and Tommy Walsh was making the point and has been making the point all along he feels like the players as individuals are there it's whether or not they can reach that maturity of style that they need and they looked to be able to do it yesterday and again the um, you know TJ Reid went off and got married and came back and was a bit slow getting back to the levels of TJ Reid and now has slowly played his way back to the levels of TJ Reid it's like well, this is interesting it is interesting you'd still make Limerick strong favourites on the basis of what they were able to do yesterday when they needed it they went to the bench and actually the bench didn't make that much of an impact really it was the players who were on the field it was like the the dominance of Kyle Hayes for 15 minutes at the end of the game yesterday so um, you know Kyle Hayes uh, not, not a great season man of the match all Ireland semi-final centre forward thanks very much not a defender not a full forward line I'm centre forward put me put me main stage Mm. Yeah, that was like another kind of terrifying aspect of of Limerick yesterday. Like it's just Kilkenny are just the great unknown sometimes because even allowing for Clare's wides and the breakdown in their attack, there was still just a whole host of mini battles happening across the pitch where it was just man on man who could get to the ball first. And Kilkenny won. It seemed anyway to to the eye test that they, they were winning the vast majority of those battles. And it's trying to describe that or trying to put into words how that happens um, and that that's the, the kind of the beautiful and tangible about this team and has been about Brian Cody teams down through the years he he, he talks about uh, literally the, the uh, Oshin was interviewing him and it was like oh, what did you like most uh, honesty of effort genuineness yeah like you know <laughs> hard work hooking blocking tackling like it's like yeah but they were also allied to that they were able to ping the ball to each other and find space and create opportunities and it's like okay alright so they're like the Terminator they've they've mutated into something completely different now and it's like ooh ooh that's interesting so if he pulls this off like best, it's the best he, he's ever pulled off it, it is like far and away the best he would ever have pulled off because this is a rival in Limerick who are are, are actually rivaling his great Kilkenny team to be one of the great teams of all time so yeah. so much is on the line it's going to be two great weeks of, of build up to that Limerick three point favourites as it stands at the moment so we'll come back to that uh, next up in the amber is Cristiano Ronaldo I would have Manchester United actually maybe in, in the amber as opposed to Ronaldo the problem for Manchester United or the opportunity for Manchester United potentially is a Cristiano Ronaldo shaped one who wants to leave the club in order to play Champions League football he's played in the Champions League obviously for 19 consecutive seasons he scored 140 goals in the competition he probably wants to add a few more goals to that tally so he wants to play Champions League football next season Manchester United don't really have another striker to step up his 18 goals last season I guess 
put a bit of a gloss statistically on the year, but some could very uh, reasonably make the argument that actually he held them back last season. So there has been some reports over the last little while that Todd Bowley has had talks with George Mendes. The idea of, of him moving to the Stamford Bridge has been floated, but Manchester United believe not to be entertaining this whatsoever, and they're firmly saying that they want to keep the player. But you just wonder, is there situation here where Ten Hag could turn this into something of a positive, like a, a Ronaldo who doesn't want to be at the club is that what Ten Hag needs in his first season? Get him out, this is an opportunity what do you, like Man United you, they're in the amber because they're primed to go this is like a big, big moment for them get him out, drive him to the airport and say thanks very much, get a helicopter to land on the pitch, wave him off and say thanks very much Ronaldo, that was great we stopped you from being in the Man City jersey that was brilliant, imagine if he'd gone to Man City and stunk the joint out there, like Get, get Ronaldo out. This is a big opportunity to hit the reset button properly. And then you take his salary off. You take all the, you take all the issues and all the stuff that's going on. And you say, right, this is entirely 100% the responsibility of the players who are here now. Let's, let's see you all step up. Let's, Marcus Rashford again in the papers talking about, you know, it's great. There's a new voice, new tactical direction. Things have changed. Like, why are you talking? Why are you talking? But get Ronaldo out. Start again. If there's if there's any money coming in first, I mean that's very unlikely, right? That you you did not expect to get any money back for Ronaldo, considering you signed him on a two year deal. But either way, this they have to take this opportunity to get rid of Cristiano now. He is not a, a useful functioning part of a team who is going to win the league, and they're trying to build a league winning team, and they need to start thinking medium term as opposed to the constant short term let's have the dessert that's on the table and let's have another dessert and let's have another dessert and let's have another dessert I feel sick why do I feel sick because I've gorged myself on short term thinking like the frustrating thing for Manchester United here is that they failed to qualify for the Champions League what two months ago like Cristiano Ronaldo's rationale for wanting to leave the club should have been obvious in April really and they didn't even need to get to the end of the season before this uh, came to light so uh, Ten Hag at least seems like a fairly meticulous planner. I would suggest that his plans included Cristiano Ronaldo. Does that not involve a phone call to Ronaldo? Does that not involve a conversation where you try and war game every single scenario here which involves Ronaldo leaving? Because like, this isn't a ball from the blue, Cristiano well, Ronaldo leaving Manchester United this summer. You would like to think that the Manchester, Manchester United as a club would have sussed out if Ronaldo was happy to stay for next season last month. Whereas now, I know it's only July, but the pre-season has begun, in case people haven't been uh, paying attention. It's not a very uh, active pre-season with a lot of uh, good players playing yet or anything like that, but it has begun. <laughs> Teams are about to go on tour. Is this just going to be another one of these summers where Manchester United leave everything late again? I think I, I, um, a couple of things, right? It doesn't really matter if they leave everything late this year because Ten Hag is a long-term thing and so we, we I don't think we should be judging Ten Hag until the end of the season and even kind of the start of the next season when there's like those that third transfer window that he had will be shut so it, it doesn't really matter to me if this happens late and the other thing I think is that it's possible that somebody has decided that they're interested in him and now all of a sudden that's why this move is happening so you're you're kind of it's Mendes potentially working away in the background yeah or or, or, or maybe it is the interest from Chelsea and the fact that uh, Bayern Munich might want or need somebody I don't know it, I, either way the opportunity to get rid of him and not be stuck with him for this year and constantly having to play through him and having all the drama oh he didn't shake the hands or he didn't go and clap the 
clapped the fans he had a row somebody else took the penalty like get rid of all that get rid of all of that and if anybody else creates any drama this year get rid of them you've got rid of Pogba you've got rid of Lingard there's a few other players there who you could do with like just yeah, gently easing out so Ronaldo is clearly one of those players who you know sells loads of shirts and creates loads of social media buzz but if Ten Hag is going to take over and we keep hearing about oh he's, he's, he's on the uh, training ground and he's telling them all what to do it's like you know okay it's kind of what a manager's supposed to or a good coach maybe there hasn't been anybody coaching that team properly for the last number of years get Ronaldo out now's the opportunity get him gone get rid of that and if it is late and if it's a pain in the ass try and replace him or get some, some bodies in doesn't matter doesn't matter just get rid of him and then start again you would have to say though that if the decision happens late this summer uh, they might not be able to find a suitable replacement and is that Manchester United squad good enough to finish top four I, I mean I don't think they're finishing top four this season regardless even if they sign top like, class striker they're, they're, I don't know I don't yeah. know what their best it's bet to, is. It's hard to make that case, to be fair. Even like even at this current state of play, if, if Ten Hag uh, even has a successful season, like Spurs and Chelsea, the positions they're in going into next season seem pretty strong. And um, even for Arsenal, recruiting very well at the moment, it's hard to make a case for them to be top four as well. So maybe not. Maybe it's just an acceptance that the, the build has to happen, and, and that's exactly how it has to go. But maybe building without Ronaldo is exactly what you want to do in season one, and it just uh, opens the opportunity for, for somebody else. Uh, in the green... We'll get to Wimbledon with Cullum in just a moment, but before that we should talk about Limerick. You kind of touched on them a little bit already just with regards to some of their performances yesterday. Kyle Hayes just uh, coming back to form in pretty spectacular fashion. Got man of the match. Like I think what's potentially even more terrifying is who didn't play well. Uh, like I mean, obviously, Keane Lynch barely features. Gerard Hegarty doesn't have one of his great days, even though he's been one of their stars over the last couple of years. And they still managed to eke out the win when it matters most. It feels to me sometimes as if like it's been the, the Lynch and Hegarty show over the last little while that they've been the two most important components of that attack. And even somebody as extraordinarily talented as Aaron Galan sometimes just goes under the radar a little bit. They just, sometimes just don't need him. They just find themselves in open space, 60 yards out from a goal, and they're like, well, we don't need you inside. But sometimes when it's really, really important, when the games are in the melting pot, they need Aaron Galan inside. They need their corner forward. And whenever they need him, he comes up trumps. And he was sensational yesterday as well. It was the, the Galan and, and Hay show. And they have options everywhere, like 1-15. to 15. It's, it's an absolutely outstanding, it's an outstanding team. And to beat them, you need to be close to perfect. Galway were not anywhere close to perfect yesterday when you look at the wides count. However, you look at, say, the Brian Concanon goal, the pass inside to him was just weighted perfectly. And if you can do that against Limerick, if you can go long and get your get your distribution perfect, which I accept is a big ask, yeah. you might be able to cause some problems. But you'd say, you'd say that Galway at best broke even with that long ball to the full back line because it was countless times, particularly in the last five or six minutes, where the ball would go up, it would be one-on-one and the Limerick defender comes out with the ball in his hand hand passes it off or you know uh, finds looks up and finds somebody does the, the crocodile eyes and goes yeah I can see stuff I don't know they're just they're they're at such a high level and yet and yet Goya right there you know it's level going into stoppage time like and Goya I think we're going to have a lot of regrets about the wise that they hit in in um, stoppage time as well so anyway we'll talk more about Limerick we've plenty of time for that yeah, and uh, Wimbledon is uh, last up. Column, how are you? Oninger, good Why morning. Is this in the green. In the green, Saturday night drama. Nick Kyrgios versus Stefanos Tsitsipas. It's our uh, yearly, um, or annual, I should say, Kyrgios loving or hating. 
wherever you stand on it. But he provided the drama once again with an unbelievable display against Sitsipas. An unbelievable display of both tennis and shithousery at the highest level. But Sitsipas actually got fined more than Kyrgios. So usually we have Kyrgios is doing all the bad behaviour and the other player is usually pretty quiet, goes about their business, doesn't want to get involved in it. But Sitsipas is rising to the occasion and, um, you know, kind of like, uh, just hit kind of a backhand frustrated shot into the crowd at the end of the second set when he lost the second set Sitsi pass and it just missed a fan and if had it hit a fan he would have been DQ'd yeah so disqualified um, for anybody who's uh, not down with the, the patois of tennis um, at that point there is a conflagration like there is an absolute Kyrgios is screaming at the umpire going mm. that's a disqualification he needs yeah. to get you can't hit the ball into the crowd without it being a disqualification mm. And then the umpire is actually having a back and forth with them, which is, uh, you know, it's difficult. There needs to be some way to speak in a, a sensible way to somebody who is being a brat and at the same time not engage too much. Because once you start engaging, he's like, well, what about Djokovic? It's like, good point. Good yeah. Point. To your man in the crowd, it's possible the ball bounced back and hit him in the back of the head. No, it didn't hit anybody, definitely. sure? Definitely, yeah, sure? 100%. You don't see, you see, you see it go in between. Yeah, but there was a person sitting there. That person got up. So had the person been sitting there, it would have hit that person there. Well, that's pretty what, lucky. What I found was when the TV coverage showed that the first thing after that second set ended was Kyrgios walking back to his chair. Then it cuts out and then it goes back to Kyrgios complaining to the umpire something about Pass he needs to be disqualified. And my thinking was, oh, Kyrgios just isn't up for this match because it's one set all and that was really hard to win that second set. And towards the end of that second set, Kyrgios did one of his things where he kind of starts to give up because Pass won the first set. And I think he had he had one service game where he was serving so fast that the ball boys weren't back in place in time and Sitsipas wasn't ready. And he wasn't bouncing the ball in times. He was just picking up and serving and then looking at his box being like, what do you want me to do? I'm playing terribly. Why aren't you helping me? And he doesn't have a coach. He's never had a coach. So he just has his entourage up there and he basically uh, vents to, to them. Or is he talking to, them, to himself? Well, I, like he's talking he's to his box, but it's about himself. He's screaming abuse at somebody. Is it? Is yeah, there it was abuse a point. Himself or the box? But well, there was a point where he was um, two sets to one up, and the commentators were saying, you know, he should be. He's in dreamland here. He should be happy out with life. And he was venting every time they went to sit down, he was venting towards his box, saying something. Couldn't really make it out, but it was clearly to himself, giving it out to himself. So when I, I thought, because so, if there's somebody in the box taking that, they need to get down there and smack around the chops. Well, when I when I saw him complaining, the umpire thought he doesn't want to play, and then I saw what City Pass did. But it was actually better after that when Kyrgios tried one of his underarm serves, and City Pass smashed the ball back at him, and it hit the scoreboard. And had that hit the crowd, then people, oh, maybe, maybe no. not. But they would have got away with it because it's in play. And totally. all he would have had to say was, oh, well, I just hit a terrible You're shot. You're allowed to do that. Afterwards, Sitsipas said, oh, I was aiming for Kyrgios. Yeah, well, he hit, to hit him. He, he hit him twice. Hit him twice. Yeah. And Kyr- that was the only time in the whole match where Kyrgios is quiet because he just let Sitsipas. Just let Sitsipas have his tantrum because mm. he knew he was going to get the better of him. And afterwards, Sitsipas, and they're formerly friends, like former double partners, these two. Sitsipas called him a bully. I'm tight with his brother, said Yeah, tight Kyrgios. with his brothers, yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of a little bit of a dig. Well, we used to be tight, but I'm actually tighter with your brothers now. But they played doubles together uh, in the past. There's loads of comments, Curious, you know, speaking very nicely about City Pass. Or Curious, uh, but very nicely about City Pass. But afterwards, City Pass calls him a bully. And evil. And evil. An evil side to him. And he also went to balance that. He said there's a good side to him too, but there's an evil side. And Curious said, well, like, he needs to toughen up. He's soft. Like, I, I play basketball all the time and it's dog eat dog and these tennis players you know they're not so bad to play against you know you need, right, you need to toughen he? up 
I mean, like, Sissy Pass is... Like, like, we don't know what he was saying, I guess, but, I mean, getting trash-talked in professional sport, I mean, is that not just the nature of the beast? Yeah, I mean, it is. Like, it is to an extent. I, I, I understood Sissy Pass's point because um, Kyrgios does tend to get his way in these things. He does. Yeah, I mean, he does. Like, he gets fined. Like, he got fined for his um, verbals to the umpire. He got fined $4,000, and Sissipas got 10000 for the ball into the crowd. But so he does tend to get should have been disqualified. I, I don't know how he wasn't. I think there's... I can't believe the difference. Of, you have to actually hit someone. Is that, that's the rule. Yeah, well, or, or hurt them then. And so that debate actually happens. Oh, if Djokovic had... If, he, if he'd hurt someone more, I didn't... I, I couldn't follow the, the line of argument. Basically, Kyrgios was ranting and was making points to the... Um, to the umpire that this this should happen and he, he, it felt like he was right and it felt like if Kyrgios had hit a ball into the crowd and had missed everybody they would have Ooh. been like oh sorry mate we're really sorry to see you go but off you go he should have gone I was delighted that he didn't because I wanted to see the match go on but I mean like he was right Djokovic went as well but the tennis the tennis itself was actually brilliant in the last three points of the match Kyrgios saved a set point in that fourth set tie break with a delicious little subtle dink over the net which was you know like nine times out of ten you miss those and then the next two points Brilliant, brilliant winners. Um, it 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 has been excellent over the last few days. Yeah, the, uh, over the weekend, the yeah. Sinner Alcaraz stuff last yeah, night. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean they're the future. Twenty and twenty one, twenty yeah. and nineteen actually. Yeah, I mean they are. That's what we have to look forward to. We've talked about before. You have like Medvedev, Zverev, Team Sitsipas are all brilliant, but not quite like absolutely elite. Whereas. Alcaraz and Sinner are showing really good signs of being I've never heard of Sinner before it. this really yeah yeah the Italian guy he's been there thereabouts this is his, he, he had never done anything on grass before this tournament never won a, a major grass match but he's made serious strides here and was, like, totally outplayed Alcaraz to which Alcaraz admitted afterwards actually posted on Instagram saying you were by far the better player looking forward to have many more battles in the future we talked about Alcaraz a few months ago that everyone was calling him the best player in the world in current form and after since then you know he got knocked out of the French Open earlier than expected kind of did okay here at Wimbledon doesn't have any experience in grass really but the future's bright for those two and uh, for tennis as well like we had Roger Federer come on court yesterday it was great to see him in a suit sad to see him not playing but like we do eventually need to move on from these three but while they're here we want to cherish them that, that's happening though what, what side of the draw is everybody on? so Djokovic can play Nadal right one against two they're seeded one and two because Medvedev were number one he obviously can't play his band and Zverev is injured and he was world number two so they moved up to one and two and from the Kyrgios perspective he can play Nadal in the semi-final and has a really really good chance of getting there I mean it would be total self-destruction by him if he, he does not no get Mark American. yeah Nakashima 20 year old oh, um, okay. no, no real like no real experience in the game of note like very talented player but Kyrgios should beat him all, all day long and then he'll probably play Alex Dimonar in the quarterfinals as fellow Azzy who he has a winning record against, like he should definitely beat him. And that would be Nadal in the semi-finals. And of course, he's beaten Nadal before in the 2014 fourth round to get to the quarter-final of Wimbledon. Right. So Grass is by far his best, like by far his best service. Like Kyrgios is going to go missing again for another six months after this. So we want to cherish him while we have him. And then he could play Djokovic in the final, which is the most long overdue match in sport. Djokovic against Kyrgios um, Djokovic has to so he's got Sinner on his side then yeah he's got Sinner yeah so, so, like, nobody the, else the, really. the, big, the big threat that Djokovic has not had to deal with is Matteo Berrettini who got to the final last year who Djokovic beat in four sets Berrettini pulled out in day two of the tournament with COVID without striking a ball and he had won Queens before that retained Queens actually okay so that you know that was his biggest threat I would say I mean the, like Djokovic should easily win this because Nadal you know, hasn't won Wimbledon in 12 years and 
very quickly Schwantek yeah she's, gone. Yeah, yeah she's gone like got really easily beaten by Elise Cornet it was bound to happen she's not that comfortable on grass she's just playing on momentum alone but like to win like 37 matches in a row which incorporates six tournaments it's incredible that's the record for the 21st century beat Venus Williams record from 2000 uh, but she, it, was, it was just one match too many and right. Cornet easily beat her alright 13 minutes past 8 that is this week's Gillette Labs performance rankings OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette Right, 8.17 this morning. Alan Quinlan, good morning to you. How are you? Oh, grand lads, know yourselves. Uh, we're, uh, we're having a little bit of a debate here. I'm a bit glass half empty. Owen's glass half full. It's, it's overflowing his cup of joy at our, the quality of our performance at the weekend. No joy. It's no joy whatsoever. Uh, I don't know. I, yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm worried. That's, that's the starting point. Well, I was worried before the first test, um, and you should be worried anytime you play in New Zealand, even though, you know, the last couple of years we've We've had three great results against him. But, yeah, I'm with Owen on this. My, my, the glass is half full for me, which is surprising because I'm usually pessimistic. Um, I still think it's going to be a mammoth task, to be honest, Ger. And, uh, um, you know, they could get better. There's every chance they will get better. Historically, they've, you know, started their international season. Most teams do, you know, you're, you, when you're a bit rusty and stuff like that, they've... Uh, there's a number of new players in their side. Uh, but I think we added a little bit to our own downfall in the match. And I couldn't believe the first 20 minutes how positive Ireland were playing and how, how, how they were controlling the tempo, quieting the crowd. And yeah, then the Severis try just all changes and it goes downhill after that. But if you look at back at, the, at all the tries, the six of them... Um, uh, they could have been prevented and you probably, and I'm kind of saying this from a player point of view or a coaching point of view, if you look back, you'd be frustrated and a little bit disappointed. I think they didn't cut Ireland open and have any sort of sustained pressure for a long period of time where you were going, wow, that's incredible. I think Ireland just added a little bit to their own downfall. That's not taking anything away from New Zealand. They were exceptional and we know they can do that. They're absolutely ruthless to have those X-factor players and they sense a little bit of vulnerability and they go for it. And I just thought for that period after the Severis try, I think that was a period of time where Ireland needed to control the tempo a little bit, take their punishment um, and not let it get any worse. But it felt like a couple of knockout blows right before half time, and that really hurt them. So in terms of the, the lessons, right, like... Are, are some of the lessons that we're not as good as we think we are, that our, our front row is a, a real issue when it comes to scrum time at world-class level, that our second rows aren't strong enough, that um, uh, the the difference between Conan and Doris, like Doris didn't perform, hasn't performed in, in, in you'd say, as in these games where we've been struggling uh, particularly well, that like maybe going backwards, maybe in a team that's doing really well, he's he's he looks world class, but it's in these performances where you need him to do more, and he hasn't done them. That like, if we're ruthless about the problems, apart from the mistakes that we made, that the problems are a bit more fundamental than just the mistakes. Um, yeah, look, of course there's issues. The scrum scrum is an issue, and you know, we had problems with England in the Six Nations when we had a, a, a dominant win. Um, and I think that has to be sorted out. I don't think it's a case of. Um, I think it's a. It's there's a little bit of Andrew Porter still, you know, fight, trying to find his feet as a loose head. He's incredibly powerful and he's a big man, um, and it's maybe a little bit of technique. And 
Um, Tuunga Fassi just went after him there. They were kind of crabbing across New Zealand, which is very technically very good. And Mike Cron, um, who was their scrum coach for years, would have worked with a lot of these guys. He came back in during the week because Greg Feek was was out. And I, I remember him taking a session with us in Munster and it was all about moving the point of contact, crabbing across a little bit and then accelerating forward. We're probably a little bit too honest there and... Um, there's a little bit of, there's, there's issues there there's no doubt and you know we lost three scrums um, and they were crucial we lost four lineouts. Um, another one was very very scrappy as well um, so you know Ireland rely on those kind of launch plays and, and their set piece to launch attack and you know their big strength in the last number of years when they've done really well is keeping the ball and keeping possession and you know being re- very efficient with their set piece so They've got to try and find a way to sort that out this week, whether it be adjusting their feet a little bit. I thought they got very, very long in their with their footwork. They've got to get a little bit closer, I think. And uh, look, there's a lot of pressure coming through there. And, um, you know, they got that bit of vulnerability and it went for the All Blacks. But the line-out was an issue as well and the gap in the line-out. And we had this problem in France, Ger, where France kept closing the gap in the line-out. Um, and... The referee didn't help that day. The referee didn't help the other day. I'm not saying it's his fault. I think Ireland have to self-police that themselves much better. We're too kind of nice and honest there. Um, you've got to kind of start putting pressure on the referee to, to ensure that you get a big gap in the line-out. Obviously, when the gap closes in the line-out, it becomes a little bit harder and, and messier. Um, and New Zealand defended very well. So they, they're reaction was to put massive pressure on Ireland, get in their faces. But I, I thought physically we were okay in open play. You know, you talk about the power in the second row. You know, I thought we, we matched them and um, we didn't get overpowered. Um, at times they were very aggressive at the breakdown and there were so many compliments during the week about Ireland's breakdown. So they went after us there. Um, and on the Caelan Doris point, yeah, he I think he two or three carries in the game. You want your number eight, like, up in double figures. Um, I think it's difficult at times. He's a, an incredibly talented player. Uh, but given that Ireland had 60% of the possession and, um, you know, 60% territory, you probably would want him to be making more carries. I thought Dan Sheehan was amazing. The amount of carries he made, the tackles he's making, Josh van der Fleer. I wouldn't say any of Irish guys had a bad game, but that period, just after the Sever Reach try, they made a number of mistakes. Gibson Park tapped a quick penalty where probably should have been just calm down, kick it to the touch, kick it to touch. A couple of kicks from the backfield that went straight down to Jordy Barrett, inviting um, inviting New Zealand back and attack. There was a penalty from James Ryan from the kickoff, which is very uncharacteristic of him. Um, and they got two tries then, so they were the, they were the real hammer blows. So you know we still have some issues, of course. But I think we, we, we added to our own downfall a little bit there. You, you mentioned the honesty thing a couple of times there, Alan. How do you change that over the course of uh, the, the, the lifespan of a squad? So say you look at that front row, how, how do you make them less honest or uh, more kind of uh, street fighters over the course of these next few years if that's a big problem in your eyes? I think when teams are crabbing across a little bit, it's hard to describe it here on a video. You know, you probably need a, a chalkboard to start talking about angles and different positions on. But I think we're very square and straight and honest. Um, and teams are, if you can imagine, all eight of the, the opposition are moving maybe a 
couple of inches and then changing their point of, of the, the drive that they're going, the angle they're going at. And if you're doing it as eight, it doesn't look as obvious as we'd say a loose set kind of running around on his own and uh, painting the picture to the referee. So I think we've got to kind of counteract and move with it, if you like. Um, you know, as I said, look, Andrew Porter has kind of been under a little bit of pressure there and he's an incredible player. And I think it's just small technical issues that maybe he can he can sort out with John Fogarty. No quick fix solution, but I wouldn't be overly concerned that we have a problem, a major problem in the scrum. We have some problems that need to be fixed. Um, the other issues, um, I think, is just tr- trying to be far more accurate. Um, I remember saying in November on, it was the most complete performance from Ireland when we beat New Zealand in, in all three of the wins. It was because Ireland were so accurate in everything they did. Um, they kept... If you look at the first 20 minutes the other night, I thought it was exceptional. You've got to tip your hat to Ireland and say it was brilliant. It's hard to keep that going. I thought we tried to overplay a little bit too much then. Um, so it's just getting that balance right. Regarding the line-out, well, if I was there, I'd probably be whinging and whining at the referee and looking for my captain to kind of step out of the line-out and slow down the line-outs. You might get free-kicked once for it, but to be really in his face saying, we haven't got a big enough gap here. They keep closing the gap all the time. Um, and again, it's a technical issue that people mightn't understand, but I think it does make a difference. If you have a little bit of a gap in the line-out, it stops the opposition from kind of getting across, touching shoulders, nudging you in the air and and really compressing the line out, if you know what I mean. So um, it's not that, you know, we're a pushover there, but I just think we need to be a bit more street smart and and be able to slow the game down a little bit and uh, and not allow teams do that to us because you know, that's what New Zealand ultimately wanted to do the other night is get in Ireland's face and really rattle them. And uh, they did so for that period. Um and Ireland just made mistakes in that 10 or 12 minute period when it got frantic and it's easier say it's for me to say it but like you know they're an incredible side and they can do that to anyone if if they're on the front foot yeah but I we, just think we, we, a couple of decisions went we're a fairly seasoned right team there for Ireland like uh, you know a bunch of those players have been on Lions tours they've been they've been uh, in matches where it's going against them and it just felt like nobody knew what to do to stem the tide or to slow things down I was talking earlier the old GA like whatever the, the rugby equivalent is of start a fight get somebody to go down injured whatever it is you have to do to give everybody two or three minutes and just say okay what the hell is happening why aren't we doing the things we said we would do everybody needs to go back and start taking individual and collective responsibility well, for it well to, to, to be honest Joe, we, we want in fairness we've criticised the team before for not being expansive and ambitious and but I when the game's going against you when the game's going against you right that's, 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 that's what that's I'm talking about so what, what, what yeah and I agree with you so what do you do one of the things I highlighted and I looked at in that period is we kicked back a few balls and New Zealand kicked the ball 28 times in the game we only kicked it 20 so that kind of tells a story that we, we were trying to play more, um, particularly in that second half. I thought the response was brilliant in the second half. But at times we kicked up the touch lines and up the middle of the field. And sometimes, you know, when we were kicking out of defence, I just thought some of those kicks could have went into the stand. Even if you're only getting 10, 15, 20 yards um, and it goes out to touch, it just slows the game down a little bit. Whereas if you're kicking to Geordie Barrett and Borden Barrett, who dropped into the backfield a lot, 
they're running back, they're, they're bringing the wingers in, you're having to defend again. And ultimately, you're, you're, you're at a risk of, of being broken down, if you know what I mean, against incredible players. Like these guys are just, yeah. they're absolute beasts. I was standing beside some of their backs and they're bigger than, you know, most wing forwards. They're powerful and they're explosive. And you continue, like Jordy Barrett is six foot five and he's an incredible rugby player. He's 110 kilos and you're kicking the ball downfield. I don't think we kicked aimlessly. I'm not saying the kicks were bad, but I think tactically a, a couple of those could have been pumped into the stand um, and it just might have slowed the game down. Okay. We also got a tiny little bit narrow at times in defence. A couple of specific things. You, you talked about Mike Cron. He's, he's, I just Googled him there. He's, he's coaching away. He's, he's 65. He's technically retired. Should we get him over for six months? That's the type of thing that we should be looking at and learning from over over the course of this. Yeah, well, he, yeah, yeah, for, for sure. And he came to Ireland a couple of years ago, and he, uh, um, the latter parts of my career, and uh, he was with Monster, and he was brilliant. And he's been this scrum guru for for um, for a long, long time. He works with World Rugby now, and uh, he analyzes a lot of the matches, the all the international matches, does reports for World Rugby and the referees as well. So, yeah, maybe, maybe I think. Um, he has a wealth of knowledge and experience, um, so th- that's something that you know. I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, do a month with the four provinces. The the do a month with the two months with the senior national team. There's six months. Give them the contract. Whatever it takes to get everybody thinking along these terms. The other issue is that um, people are texting in saying moving Porter to tight head doesn't make sense. We've no backup there now and haven't developed loose heads either. Bad planning. Um, this is the whole uh, moving Porter across and obviously the. To, to lose out um, we we don't have uh, depth as we saw at the weekend and we you know partly that's because of the injuries that, that have happened but we we haven't had that depth is it too late now for us to get depth over the next 12 months it seems like it is is there something um, yeah look it's it's difficult you just can't invent players and uh um, look, the, the backup uh, to Keen Healy, who's been had an incredible international career and has been ever present. Uh, the idea to move Porter over was to be the successor to Keen Healy. Um, you know, you'd love to have more Finley Bealham as there as a tight at Tom O'Toole. Um, but, you know, Jeremy Lockman gets picked on the tour, who I think has big potential and needs to be coached better and probably. Uh, there's improvement there, um, but um, it's difficult. It's tricky. Um, I think, listen, we were hailing this six months ago when, in, in November when you had Furlong and Porter on the field together um, and we were talking about world-class front row with Kelleher. Yeah, um, we need to stop talking about that though. And the, <laughs> we, well, we, no, we do, look, because they're not, they're know, not a world-class front row if they're getting destroyed by England and they're getting destroyed now by yeah, it's, uh, it's the, the all It's a difficult period for them. I think they can be. I think Porter still can be a top-class international lucid. And he is, but he's just technically getting caught by a few props. Um, I do think that, you know, Keller is a loss even though and Sheehan was absolutely amazing but I think one or the other coming off the bench yeah. having Henderson there or Tyburn coming on and off the bench um, Jack Conan coming off the bench or O'Mahony you know we, we we lost a little bit of that impact with a couple of players and we don't have the depth in certain positions and that's just the reality Well let's talk about selection then for next week is there a case for moving Tyburn into the back row and getting Ryan Baird on the team so that we beef up 
the the line-out options and that we beef up the physicality of the team or like it doesn't seem as if they think Ryan Baird is a starter at this stage they haven't they haven't included yeah, him and I, I was surprised um, that you know he uh, I wasn't surprised that Keon Treadwell was there and he came on and he was ahead of him in the Six Nations it's it's certainly an option to get him involved given the impact and the energy that he has and and exposing him really to a really hostile situation and playing against the All Blacks here in New Zealand. Um, it could be an option. I think if Ian Henderson was there, there's, there's, there's probably an option to move Bourne into the back row. I don't think it'll happen. I don't think... Um, I think the line-out issues we had were probably just timing issues. And I think Paul spoke to the media on, on Sunday um, about that. And it, it was timing. It was probably... Because um, again, I look back at the France game in, in the Six Nations, and there's a couple of throws where it's hitting the top of the jumper, and there's nobody up there with them. It's 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 a it's a timing of the lift or timing of the throw. So um, they need to get better at that. Regardless of, of changes, I think Jack Conan's impact off the bench was was very good. You mentioned that about Darius, but um, I'm not sure if there'll be that many changes. I think. You might think I'm crazy to say this, but I'd be uh, I'd be thinking of putting Gary Ringrose in the wing and playing Bundyaki and Henshaw together in the centre to try and you know beef up our physicality in that backline a little bit. We've been talking about that and for years not, here. Like, yeah, let's yeah, try it and see what not, happens. You know, not, that's not any um, kind of uh, knocking Keith Earls' performance. I thought he was brilliant, and the try he scored. Uh, but you know, Ringrose is kind of special, and Henshaw. They both had great moments in the game where they were making a lot of ground in that second half. So um, they have to defend better, Jared, to have any chance the weekend. Make it really, really difficult, even when they're under pressure for New Zealand to to, to get any sort of line breaks, and and then you know look back at that first twenty minutes. So uh, the glass is half full. That <laughs> like like on, but you know you could. You could get destroyed too. These guys can just, if they change gears, they can be extremely, extremely dangerous. But I think, you know, Ireland um, can have a go at them and hopefully they will have a real crack off them on Saturday. One of the things that we keep talking about when it comes to the conversation of depth is what happens if Ireland get injuries and uh, these players need to come in and, and, and replace them but I think maybe what, what's kind of obvious now is that depth needs to be there for players who are out of form as well. And like you make the point of Ian Henderson was in there, you put Byrne in the back row. Is there a chance actually that it, that it would just be James Ryan who would miss out at this point? Like, I mean, doesn't make the starting 15 for a while, plays himself back into form and, and all of a sudden the depth works a little bit better on that level. It feels that he kind of has to keep playing now because of a lack of options. It, it, it could be, yeah, but he has got to keep fighting through this period as well because he's not... We we're so we were so spoiled with what James Ryan brought in the early parts of his career a couple of years ago. It was just sensational, constant carries, impacts over the game line, big moments. Uh, he's fighting to try and find that kind of form again. And uh, sometimes as a player, you've just got to keep going. I don't think he. I thought he put himself about, uh, made loads of tackles, loads of carries the other night. Um, it's not that he's playing bad. It's we just don't see him as prominent as we probably did at the start of his career. But look, even for the, the, the team that played the Maoris last week, I still think you can learn a lot on this tour. I know, obviously, you want to get results. Um, but And the issues around scrums and lineouts and things like that and um, controlling tempo and all that kind of stuff. Well, 
there's certain guys are learning and and watching it firsthand. Even the players in the squad, they're they're seeing this up close and personal. And as a group, they can try and learn from that. So I think the ultimate goal really was obviously to try and win a test match here. Um, but I still think they can still learn a lot from this. Um, it's really, really important. And we said it on Friday that it doesn't end up in a big score at the weekend. Um, I just, I have a feeling Ireland would be better. I believe they'll, they'll, um, um, they'll really make a go of this on Saturday. I'm not saying they'll win, but I think they will be better. My big fear then when I start thinking about what New Zealand can do, but it's a learning curve for everyone to see what kind of, what the characters are like and, and, uh, and can they use that going forward for next year? Yeah. Uh, what about Sexton? And, like, we, we've been talking, really, since he made it clear after the lines that he wanted to go to the next World Cup about how dangerous it would be for Ireland to try and rely on Sexton because of the injury profile and um, the, the position he plays in. He, he gets hit a lot and uh, maybe it's tackle technique. I don't know enough about the, that to, to be able to, to speak to that. But certainly he's gone in the middle of the game, early in the game, uh, at the weekend do we now just need to say if you make it to the World Cup great but we're going to plan not to have you in all our big games because it just seems like it's a bad idea to put the eggs in the basket of somebody who's coming to the end of their career we did it with Rory Best and it backfired horribly in the last World Cup it could easily just have the same thing again where he's over the hill by the time the World Cup rolls around but we haven't given any game time to anybody else and so therefore nobody else had the opportunity so is this now irrespective of whether or not he's fit Pick Carberry at the weekend and go for it, go with it. I'm I'm divided on that. I really thought um, I really thought Carberry there was something about him when he came on the other night that I really liked. I thought um, even when he went for that try when Rico Yuani stopped him, I just there's a there's there was something about him the other night that that um, I liked. I liked that, that he had to be thrown in at the deep end. Um, he did play really, really well in, in, in a tough situation. Um, but he was I think he was going to start a test anyway, Carberry here. I think that was the whole idea. Um, so he could start anyway at the weekend and maybe it's a case of, of, of play Sexton next week. I just think, you know, the, you make a very valid point of hitting the World Cup next year and the fly has behind not having enough game time then and we're we're kind of but after a World Cup Jared, that's when your rebuild starts as well and I don't think you know um, you just got to deal with it then when it happens um, I think if there were the fly has behind we're putting more pressure um, on Johnny Sexton but they're not challenging this, the same so it's it's I think Joey Carberry as I said did really well the other night but if Johnny Sexton's fit at the weekend, would I start him? I just think his mental strength and his resilience and the power and presence that he has, I probably would. Uh, people would probably disagree and say, well, we need to get Joey Carberry out in the field. But I don't know. I, I, I think the third test is probably one where I would start Carberry, but I'm not sure what they'll do yet. It's also kind of like just the, the leadership element of things, as opposed to the number ten that he is. Like that early hit, that I know it's not, that, 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 that's the thing. It's not. It's not the. It's not that uh, the playing ability because I think Joey Carberry's taken strides in the last few months. to start in France, coming on at the weekend as well. 
Um, it's just presence. I think they sh- they need to try and learn a little bit off Sexton, get a bit narky like him, um, have more, be more vocal. You want your fly to have to be really, really vocal. And and to be fair, Joey, Joey Carberry seems to be a little bit quiet. Um, he needs to start bossing people around the field. I'd love to see him doing that. Um, it's it's also like Quinny, I don't know what they're going to do that that moment early in the game when Ringrose has that tackle on Sam Kane you can see Sexton being like what a hit and kind of like that just it, it wasn't goading but he made sure that Sam Kane could hear it or that the All Blacks players could hear it and it was just that level of needle and like I wonder does that kind of come back to this wider conversation that you were talking about in the scrum about honesty and you know like is there just a, enough of a of an edge about this Ireland team uh, outside of Sexton they're all lovely fellas yeah well, with the exception of, of sex in that, in that sort of moment. And I'm sure there are other exceptions in, in the squad. Exception of uh, P- Peter Romani as well. Yeah, Peter yeah. Has, yeah. Like there's, there's another example. Like, but that's two, two players. Is, it, like, is, there, is, there enough, is there enough of that across the, 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 the team even, let, let alone the squad, the Ireland starting 15? Uh, maybe not. Um, I, look, I, it's rich coming from me. Um, no, you it's know, exactly, exactly, you're exactly what we would. need. Yeah, look, you probably need a little bit more of an edge. I, I just kind of, I was kind of pumped up on Friday being at the press con, the, the the captain's run myself, just thinking, you know, I'd love to kind of. I'm not saying <laughs> even when I was when I was playing that I would have played well, but you know, it's kind of one of those ones where you're going into the real deep end here, and you know you're going to get smashed and you know you're going to get hit and. Um, you'd love to have a fight there and kind of really get stuck into them. But look, I think they're they're incredibly tough play, tough players. Like Robbie Henshaw is the machine. Like you know what I mean. You're not going to go out in the, the field and intimidate him. Robbie Henshaw would kill me with a tackle if I thought I could kind of intimidate him. But there probably is a little bit of room just to have a uh, to be a bit more nasty and kind of have more of the Gary Ringrose hit and stuff like that and kind of stand toe-to-toe a little bit. It's not going to win you matches, but sometimes the body language kind of generates a bit of energy amongst yourselves and stuff. But look, ultimately, I think Ireland need to technically get beyond the money uh, for the next two tests to, to kind of any chance and, and really fix the scrum, fix the line-out and, you know, hold on to the ball and, and really look at, look, look at what they did in the first 20 minutes. I thought it was unbelievable. I don't know... Um, what you think but I really thought that um, you know the couple of turnovers they had they were really frustrating New Zealand and uh, ultimately they were going to turn and have a purple patch but the three tries they scored you know starting with the Sever Reese one um, was kind of a devastating blow for Ireland um, yeah it just it just had the bang of some of those games where we start well against the All Blacks and then they they hammer us with like without us almost noticing that the game is gone and the game is gone at half time and that's why it's hard, also hard then to read too much into the second half because the game is over and we all know the game is over at that stage really um, and any time we scored they were scoring or any time it looked like we were going to score they knocked the ball out of our hands but to be fair to be fair Ger, they would have loved to put 60 points on us you know what I mean and it wasn't as if they stopped so I, I would give Ireland some credit for that to be fair the way they kept you know, the way they came out after half time and Ringrose got to try earlier and they kept going and you know, so look, it wasn't the case that they wilted. They were under a fair bit of pressure at times, um, as well, Ireland, but I thought it was much better in the second half. And look, okay. Um we we'll judge it after the second test whether it's been um you know, a disaster or not. But I think it's uh, they have they have an opportunity this week. They've got to really go after it and kind of pick themselves up. Yeah. 
and uh, we're going to find out a lot about them and a lot about what, what their character is and, and whether or not they're going to do anything at the next World Cup I would say as well last question it seems like your clothes arrived anyway clothes arrived on Friday yeah thanks for the gods and uh, so uh, yeah Paul helped me for a day and a half anyway <laughs> so it was good thanks for the gods I needed the, the coat and some warm clothes for Saturday, but um, all good now. Very happy. Sleeping a little bit better as well. And what part of the world are you in now? Have you moved down to Dunedin yet, or are you still yeah. in? Yeah. No, we uh, we moved, moved down to Queenstown today, so right. I'm uh, slugging it out here in picturesque Queenstown, one of the most beautiful places in the world, on the lake here. So um, it's uh, half the Irish people here have gone off skiing this, today, and there's snow on the mountains here. It's incredible. It's a beautiful place. So go to Dunedin on Thursday for the team announcement and all that stuff. And the build-up will kind of start a bit more. Then the Irish team will go down to Dunedin until Wednesday. Right. Well, enjoy. Thanks a million for joining us. Cheers. Cheers, lad. Thanks. Alan Quillen there. Um, fully clothed from uh, Queenstown everybody raves about it that's supposed to be amazing both summer and winter uh, it's 8.46 OTB AM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day it's time for the sports pages there are so many idiots out there so many spoofers there's a lot of horse I think he's a total spoofer what do you mean a spoofer he's a bullshit ah no Emma come on don't, don't be no I'm not yes. no right uh, the breaking news this morning Arsenal fans delighted Gabriel Jesus has signed yeah he was pictured atop the Emirates Stadium uh, in his uh, gleaming new Arsenal kit wears the number 9 jersey for Arsenal yeah uh, something of a something of a coup I think is it? something how do you feel something of a coup <laughs> are you a little bit concerned that one of the best teams in the world are just giving you one of their strikers at a relatively okay price I think that it is encouraging that a player who has been valued as a squad player, not as a starter all the time, but as a, as a very meaningful squad player for Pep Guardiola, for a team that have gone close to the Champions League and have won a number of Premier League titles, is willing to join Arsenal. I think from Arsenal's perspective, it's something of a coup. I don't, I don't think if you're Liverpool or Chelsea, you would necessarily see that. But I think given Arsenal, they're not a Champions League club. I think this is something that could potentially get them a little bit closer to the top four next season. And that's what they'll be hoping for. There's question marks around where Jesus will play, where he, where he wants to play. He's, he says he wants to be a, a number nine. Obviously, Arsenal have signed Eddie Nketiah up to a longer-term deal, so maybe he just goes back to being an impact sub again, and, and Jesus plays through the middle. Um, but even when you look at him play for, for the national team, there's you're never quite certain what his best position is. So that's just something that they need to iron out, but I'm sure that that's the clarity that they already have, and they, I would assume that Arsenal will play him as a nine because that's what they need. The uh, do factor here seems to have been a big thing. He's obviously been a long-term admirer of him. And uh, that's a, as much of a positive slant as I can put on this thing for you right now. I, I, I know what you're. I know exactly where you're coming from. What do you think? With your concerns, but he hasn't been prolific. He scored a grand number of goals, but a grand number of goals for Manchester City. Like he hasn't exceeded xG in a way that um, a Salah or Ronaldo would. And I don't think anybody's ever saying that Jesus would, would have been expected to be on that level. But uh, uh, like he you signed for you signed for Man City, you you hoped you're going to get to a level where you are elite. Like he was signed essentially to replace Aguero, or as one of those players who may go on to replace Aguero. I think was Sané supposed to be one of those players too and that didn't happen for him so it turns out replacing Sergio Aguero is very difficult it is like the the one thing I would say is that Jesus 
more than fitted into an attack where goals were coming from the left and the right and he chipped in with a few of them himself. So if he's playing in an attack with Bakayo Saka and Emil Smith-Rowe or Gabriel Martinelli and he is the centre point of that piece in a system that is uh, prided a little bit upon its, its pressing game, and I think that works. I think it makes sense. I don't think I'm not looking at this signing being like this could backfire spectacularly. I think it's a signing that's exciting, right? And I think it it, it shows. You're ambition. allowing yourself to be a little bit. It shows, no, it shows ambition. It yeah. shows ambition, and I think Arsenal have had very disappointing windows when they've been on the precipice of something good over the last little while. This signing says to me that Arsenal realise that next season is a massive year for them. The problem for them is that Tottenham have strengthened impressively as well, have a better manager, and uh, Chelsea are going to be hard stopped uh, unless they make some. Uh, really bad decisions over the next few weeks alright uh, all of the newspapers have the picture of um, from Formula 1 yesterday uh, Zhu Yu, if I got that wrong um, in his Alfa Romeo this is just before it flips over at the opening corner of the British Grand Prix at Silverstone and uh, his life was saved obviously by the halo um, which is over the top of the cockpit you can see it on the, on the car there there's a better picture in one of the backs of the pages there I just missed it um, so that was uh, pretty horrific, I think. But um, he survived and he's okay, by all accounts. Yeah. So, um, yeah, loads of tennis, obviously, in the English papers. Pictures from the hurling on the front of the Irish Times. Limerick's jaw holds up to sturdiest of go-away punches. That was the... the we, we expected the heavyweight clash to be the other one, where it was going to be toe-for-toe, but actually... Whatever, I, I still I can't get my head around what happened to Clare. It's really, really unfortunate. Um, but fair play to Galway. Will Galway feel like this is the start of something or will they feel like they've blown a chance to knock off the king? The immediate thing is that they've blown a chance and I don't think they'll be waking up this morning feeling any other way. But I think that heading into next season when the conversation may well be who will top Limerick once again, they'll feel that they have the ability to do it. Now, of course, Kilkenny could very well go ahead and win the All-Ireland next week. I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. But the probability is that Limerick will be All-Ireland champions again and the question will be who can beat them. And Galway has shown yesterday that they have the tools to beat them. Uh, if you add Garob McInerney back into that team, granted Limerick weren't at full strength themselves, they'll feel that they're going to have a right crack off this next year. But it's just that wide count yesterday which they'll be really, really disappointed with. And uh, right now it's opportunity missed. That's the hardest thing to fix is the Whites because it's, it's in some counties it seems to be stitched into their DNA and it's like every year the team gets good and they reach a certain level of proficiency and then at some point somewhere along the way wide 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 you're talking wide, as a Kildare football fan here and, and I'm, I'm looking at looking at Mayo yeah the core curlers it is like it is a it, it, it obviously is just something that we kind of speak about as something that's so easy to fix you know the, the frustration we feel as we want an underdog to win on television but actually it's uh, the hardest bit that's composure under pressure alright uh, OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day now tune into Off the Ball each day this week where thanks to Sport Ireland Campus we have daily prizes of 200 euro vouchers that can be used towards membership at their elite gym facility and pitch rentals for your team your kids sports academies and camps or a family visit to Aquazone Water Park plus an amazing overall prize of a thousand euro voucher a money can't buy behind the scenes tour and a sports team fitness testing session by an experienced strength and conditioning coach. It's all thanks to Sport Ireland Campus, the home of Irish sport from beginners to high performance and everyone in between. Here we go. Right, at 8.52, we say good morning to Gregor Paul. Gregor, good morning to you. How are you? Very well, sir. Um, what's the general perception of how well New Zealand played amongst you and your colleagues after the game on Saturday morning, Saturday evening? 
uh, look, probably B, B plus, um, if we're honest. But there, there were fundamental questions where, well, I'd say largely answered. Like they put together, they, they, they fronted up in the areas that we talked about on air last week. You know, they, they, they brought that physicality. They love that word. Um, you know, they, they set out to repair and rejuvenate their set pace, and they definitely scrummaged. Uh, they were they were they were pretty good. They had a, a couple where Ireland probably caused them a few troubles. I look at that, but on the whole, they were happy with that. Their lineup was pretty good, and and in the collision work, they probably got what they wanted. They they probably uh, they, they edged that battle. I don't think they dominated Ireland, but they certainly edged it. So they answered the, the kind of key, key questions: Are they tough enough? To, um, to stand up to a pack like Ireland who really kind of dealt to them in Dublin the year before. So we saw that and look, they were obviously pretty ruthless in terms of you know, Ireland dominated possession and territory. Um, you know, they, they had far more of the ball than and they were on the New Zealand's goal line for goodness knows how long of that game. And yet, you know, New Zealand won on the scoreboard at least quite comfortably. And that's because when they did have the ball, uh, they finished, and they were they, they were pretty ruthless about how they went around doing that. So, look, um, as as opening season games go, New Zealand don't have a great track record of starting well. Even at Eden Park, they've often sort of scraped over the line. So, if you put it into all that context, it, it wasn't bad. It was it was a reasonably good performance. And the graph is going up by the sounds of what you're saying. There, we can expect a tougher version of New Zealand even just this Saturday in Dunedin. Oh, well, I mean, they're going to have to because I imagine they're going to get a tougher version of Ireland, which which they'll know because I think Ireland would be reasonably, despite the scoreline and the disappointment, would be reasonably buoyed by um, the number of opportunities that they had, the trouble, the troubles that they were causing New Zealand, certainly to get behind them. You know, New Zealand defended their goal line amazingly well, but you know, why were they defending their goal line? Because Ireland had found a way to get there. So they're going to need to look at that. Um, look, it's the All Blacks, isn't it? And uh, you would imagine if they're going to be the team that they want to be, they're going to have to find another gear. And typically we do see them uh, you know, to, to go through. They will be much better in Game 3 of this series than they will all being game one and I think Ireland found that out the last time they were here when they got a bit of a royal hiding in the in, in game three so yeah look, that, that is the old black way they, they they tend to accelerate once they've got off the mark with that first game under their belt There was no sign of the disruption to the coaching ticket and the COVID in the camp having any impact on uh, the preparation or, or was there should we actually expect them to be even better because they'll have an uninterrupted build up, build up to the game next week Oh, I think these things are a wee bit exaggerated. Um, you know how disruptive it was. I mean, look, they, they would have done a lot of their planning, a lot of their work prior to the, to that to that final week. I think the, the greater disruption for them was probably losing David Havili, um, who would have been playing at um, inside centre for them. And uh, he needs a completely different player to um, Quintupaia, who they played. Just having a little bit of gremlins on the line there this morning. The Wi-Fi had been so strong in New Zealand all all the last two weeks. Finally given up an omen for the Saturday, of course. Good or bad for us? The Wi-Fi or... <laughs> Is the omen good or bad for us? Uh, it's, a, it's a good omen. Craig is back there. So you were just saying that the... Um the uh, inside centre situation would have been more important really than the COVID. In, in, in that context then, um, 
what because what, we, we've been talking about the, the pressure that the coaching ticket were on basically since last November does that pressure immediately ease with a, a three test victory here which you know New Zealand are clearly on track for now they're, they're double digit point favourites again heading to the game this weekend I think everybody expects them to win this this weekend as well so has, has have they done enough to prove that actually this coaching ticket will now take them through to the next World Cup more than likely no no, look, I mean, you, you have probably been observing the All Blacks and the All, and the New Zealand media for long enough to know that one one game, look, it, it eases a, a tiny fraction of the pressure, doesn't it? But not, it doesn't let the valve right out by any means for them. I mean, look, they've, they haven't won the series. They've, what they've done is they've put down a reasonably good marker that said, OK, the benchmark level that we've got to build on from here, but the, the pressure is going to stay on them uh, certainly until the end of the series. Uh, and I think if they don't win the next two games, it will be right back upon them. Um, but they've got to go to South Africa after they've played Ireland. I mean, that's a pretty tough, that's a tough start to anyone's season, isn't it? Three tests against Ireland and then two on the road in South Africa. Look, a lot of people won't be ready to take any pressure off this team until we see how they go against South Africa as well, who, look, they weren't brilliant by any means against Wales, but you can see that they're a very basic team, aren't they? And they pose a very simple question as how big and how tough are you? Can you stop our rolling mall? Can you get the ball off us? And are you prepared to just tackle enormous people that we're going to send hurling at you time and time again? So until we get through um, those five tests, no, the, 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 the pressure, if anything, look, the pressure... It's, it's even more important that they that they build on what they did last week um, in, in Dunedin this week. What do you make of Ireland? Carefully considered take to cut through uh, any Irish hope that we might have had this week. Is he there? We're getting them back there. It's uh, 8.58 this morning. You can uh, give us a comment on the YouTube channel if you want. Or you can tweet us at off the ball AM. Try again on. Uh, I was just asking you, Gregor, what you thought of Ireland. Well, I, I thought the scoreline probably didn't reflect uh, what they put into the game. I don't think there were 20 odd points between the two teams. Um, look, they, they they learned a lesson, though, didn't they? Like they? They played a lot of good rugby, but that's all great and wonderful. Uh, against the All Blacks, but what you've got to do is you've got to convert that opportunity into into points and you've got to pile the scoreboard pressure on. And when Ireland have beaten the All Blacks in the past, it's because they've done exactly that. They've had half a chance or one chance, boom, they score, and that keeps you in the game. They'll be, I thought they'd be reasonably encouraged about the, the mileage that they got. They, they troubled the frontline All Black defence for quite long periods of the game. Um, their set piece was okay. I thought their scrum might be a bit worried if the All Blacks get that component right for them this week. I thought Ireland might be in a wee bit of trouble there. Um, but look, they're competitive, and and look, they 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 met a highly motivated All Black team, and they stayed in the fight for eighty minutes. And I don't mean that to be condescending. I mean there's plenty of teams at Eden Park that would be thirty five, whatever they were down, and gone home, you know, fifty eight, sixty two. Um, on the score on the scoreboard, so they didn't let that happen. So there's a lot of heart there, and look, they'll enjoy playing in Dunedin. It's, it's hard, it's fast, uh, definitely going to be dry because there's a roof on the stadium, and I think that'll suit Ireland. So look, they'll be, I think they'll be travelling with a bit of confidence, and they should be too.
When, when you say confidence, right, do you still expect New Zealand to win well, but it'll be a closer game on the scoreboard? Is, is that what I'm hearing? Uh, yeah, maybe. Look, I think I think they would have come away thinking, look, we, we scored 19 points and with a bit of luck, a bit of composure, a bit of whatever they were missing. I mean, how many times did they get over the line? Well, I mean, if they got, if they, every time they went over the line, if they'd scored, I don't know what the score would have been. So, look, I, when I say they should have a bit of confidence, there's not a lot of teams that can walk away from Eden Park and think, yeah, look, we, I can't remember how many tries Ireland scored, whether it was two or three, three tries. And really, we could have actually had five or six tries. That's, that's not many teams have been able to do that. So, I, when I say confident, oh, look, they, they, they did enough to know that the All Blacks uh, are not infallible and that the same rules apply to them that apply to everybody else. So, look, I, I think that... They should feel that they could win the game. Um, I know that might seem a bit of an egregious claim to make. You know, Ireland can beat them in Dunedin, but you know, the, the, there's actually no reason why why they can't do it. The, the gap between the two teams doesn't look overly large at the moment. One of the key things from an Ireland perspective is that um, when when we play in this part of the world, we have a very strong understanding of exactly what the rules at the Rook are going to be. And this was something Andy Farrell brought up in a roundabout way, talking about there's supposed to be a depth to the Rook. We'd like to understand what how that rule is going to be applied. And something like that seems, on the face of it, either churlish or childish and a bit razzy to be bringing up in the aftermath of it. But it is interesting in that um, if the Rook was refereed differently, like it might be in the Northern Hemisphere, uh, there would have been early penalties for New Zealand. They wouldn't have been able to slow the ball down and Ireland might have been more clinical in the 22, for example, and that possession might have converted to points. So it's it's, it's hard to have this conversation without coming across like, look at us, we got refereed off the park. Do you know what I mean? So is there a way is there a way of having that conversation and going, is is there anything in this that might be of, of interest this week coming? Oh, look, I, I think I would have understood... Uh, Farrell's point a wee bit better if it hadn't been an English referee. So, you know, like the All Blacks and, and look, Super Rugby gets refereed a certain way because it's Kiwi Australian referees that are refereeing it. But we had an English referee, so presumably he interprets the game in the same way he does whether he's refereeing in the Southern or the Northern Hemisphere. So I didn't quite understand quite what he was getting at there. However, to, to your point, um, look, the, the the breakdown we all know every team in the world has a different view about what they can get away with where the entry point is I think what Andy was saying is that New Zealand seemed to have a, a wider gate their guys were able to sort of approach the ruck from kind of wherever they felt like and we're obviously going right through the back of the ruck taking guys out way after the way after the ball I'm assuming that's what he was getting at when he said it and look I mean uh, if I, I, I didn't really see it, but we never normally do when you're watching it. It's, it's hard to tell. Coaches see micro detail that beyond my understanding. But look, it, it, it's, it'll probably change again next week because the referee will change. And maybe the All Blacks will be whining about something next week that they didn't get this or they didn't get that. Where I thought Ireland had a couple of legitimate claims, I thought the Joey Carberry try, look, we've seen plenty of those being awarded in Super Rugby this year. Didn't look like there was clear separation, so I thought that was a try. I also kind of thought he was high-tackled on the way over the line. And definitely the referee got in the way um, when um, uh, New Zealand scored their final try, a pick-up off the back of the scrum. I mean, he was completely in the way. He blocked him, and he, he just got in the way, but he didn't. 
Um, so I thought Ireland were actually probably had a few grievances that were legitimate, but not necessarily the ones that Andy Farrell brought up after the game. Will Barrett be um, cited, do you think, or has the window closed for that? I'm not sure what the time difference, what the crack is with that. Uh, no, that's no. He won't be. the The window's gone with that. It needed to be um, earlier on today, and it didn't happen. So I, I'm assuming that's not not able to happen now. Right. That seems like look when when we put it up on Twitter, people were like, "Oh, what about the high tackle moments before that from Jameson Gibson Park?" And sure, fair enough. I'm sure there was a high tackle from Gibson Park, but it did seem like it was no arms, head, head to neck area, and not not looked at. That's the type of stuff that as a test series goes on, leads to a little bit of rancour. So, I, I, you know, there might be a bit of spiciness this weekend. Yeah, I look, I, I'm not a big fan of, of slowing clips down because you can, you know, you end up seeing things that might not be there. But on this particular occasion, and look, Barrett's got a bit of previous um, for doing this. It's not the first time he's led with the shoulder in exactly that manner of getting a wee bit frustrated at a, at a breakdown, charging in with his shoulder and clunking someone on the head. And look, the referee was right there. Uh, and it looked for all the world to me that, look, he didn't use his arms. He's charged in direct contact to the head. We've all watched this game for the last three years enough to know, well, look, there's nothing mitigating. Uh, well, I didn't think that there was, despite the fact that Manny's head was down. Barrett didn't need to do that. I mean, that was a red card, surely, wasn't it? I thought it was a red card, looking at it again. And I don't quite understand when the referee's right there, how on earth he didn't come to the same conclusion. And given that TMOs seem to interfere at the drop of a hat these days, they'll find anything and everything to, to, to interfere and say, look, there's foul play there. I'm genuinely at a loss as to why that wasn't even looked at. That that seemed a crazy decision to me to not even look at it. Yeah. Maybe that was one of the things that Andy Farrell was hinting at that um, I was saying he needs to release go full Razzie release the video see what happens you know <laughs> that's the rules of engagement it turns out you get a little bit of a suspension for it but not much and uh, the referee does exactly what you want the next week out. Well I mean you're you about that that does build frustration for players because it's not when it when you get these inconsistencies and that was I thought pretty clear cut right in front of him. I'm not sure how he thought that Barrett hit him on the body. He clearly hit him on the head. He clearly didn't have an arm. I mean, how obvious does this need to be? And to then say, I'm not even going to look at that, probably did get Omani um, pretty fired up. And I would imagine you're right. There'll be there'll be a little bit of blood boiling in the first 20 minutes in Dunedin. Um, and, you know, hopefully it's blood boiling in all the right ways. It's intense and passionate rather than sort of off the ball and um, a bit niggly. But, but it's frustrating because referees need to do their jobs a bit better than that. Yeah, 100%. Gregor, great to have you with us again. Thanks a million. Cheers. My pleasure. Enjoy the game. That's uh, Gregor Paul giving us some thoughts from New Zealand. A reminder, OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Here's what we've got coming up on OTB Sports Radio today. James McLean in studio, OTB Gold at 1 o'clock, Splunk at 3. Our Culture Hall of Fame is Kenny Cunningham talking about faulty towers. Yes. Lockdown was mad, wasn't it? It was a good time. Yeah. Uh, OTB Gold is Ray Boom Boom Mancini at six. And then the show is live tonight with Johnny Ward on hosting duties after the weekend. A devastated Johnny Ward. He was at Croker watching his beloved Galway just, but not quite, uh, come up short. You can follow off the ball across all our social channels. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Be sure to download the OTB Sports app. 
up next we're live with Tipperary legend Park Mara reflecting on the weekend's hurling semi-finals first here's Limerick manager post-match reaction yesterday uh, John Kelly talking with Stephen Doyle back soon OTB all right, 12 minutes past nine. Carl Milani is with us. We're going to talk hurling at Port Mara in just a minute. Um, I know you were working on the minor All-Ireland final. Yeah. Unbelievable drama at the end of that game. Unbelievable heartbreak for Offaly and probably a bit of uh, righteous justification that they should have had a free out in the build-up to the goal. Yeah, I think so. A um, lot of outcry on social media. I know after the game from Offaly supporters that they should have had a free just before the free in was awarded for Tipperary. Probably justified uh, having watched the coverage back I think a lot of people would say that uh, maybe they could have got a free out um, but what a game what an occasion and the way to lose it is just absolute heartbreak uh, for Offaly because they dominated the game they were six points ahead at half time uh, they were really on top the crowd was behind them they looked in total control and even with all the players back the fact that McCormick got that flicked with what a finish it was by the way like that's the other thing you know the never say die attitude from yeah. the tip miners is something that uh, you, you, it's very hard to coach that level of resilience you can work on it and you can talk about it but for them to just have that as well, well. yeah I mean what, a, what an achievement and the scenes I mean they were so chaotic because a puck out happened after that goal went in and the the sideline was very chaotic at that stage and then the final whistle was blown. Offaly actually got possession from the puck out and, and had a chance um, but they they lost possession and Tipperary won it back and then the final whistle was blown. But what a, what a game, what an occasion. Sellout crowd in Nolan Park. Um, just wonder for the players at that age when they're only 16 and 17, it's such a difficult thing to comprehend for the Offaly players that it was just taken from them right at the very end. But yeah. What a great occasion. Uh, Park Mars with us. Park, good morning to you. How are you? How are you doing, lads? Yeah, before we get to the seniors, um, the response in Tipperary to the, the minors are just saying they're in incredible fortitude for them to come back from six points down and to come back at the last minute and to win it. Heartbreak for Offaly, and I'm sure your heart goes out to them, but at the same time, there's something steely about that tip minor team as well. Yeah, you know, I was down there during myself yesterday in Nolan Park, and um, all the sports was an unbelievable occasion. Um you know, 27,000 people all there for the minors. You know, if that was above in Crow Park, you know, um, you know, every, everyone's there primarily for the scene game and the minor game probably gets overlooked. So, first of all, it's a fantastic occasion. The atmosphere is unbelievable and the game the game lived up to the atmosphere and the occasion then as well. It was just unbelievable. And the way they finished then, obviously, you know, Tipperary would be absolutely delighted the way they, they snuck the victory. But you'd have to feel, to feel for Offaly, like, you know, to lose an all Ireland like that and especially when you're only 16, 17 years of age that is tough like but you'd be hoping that they learn from it and they'll use the experience going forward to, to help them because there's some cracking hurlers Yeah and, and hopefully that's the rebirth of Offaly hurling, hurling or the start of it anyway because it'd be great to see them back competing for Leinster titles the way you know they were 20 years ago Let's let's talk a little bit about the Saturday game first then if we can get your thoughts on that Park the the non-appearance of Clare in that first half um Obviously, Kilkenny need to get huge credit for it. It's one of the, the all-time great 35 minutes from Kilkenny. It's right up there with their all Ireland final against Waterford all those years ago with a completely different team. So how do, how do you judge that? Is it is it Clare not showing up? Is it Kilkenny? Is it all on Kilkenny's greatness in that first half? What's the split? I would say I would say Kilkenny definitely upped their performance, obviously, um, from what they've been um, uh, producing the last couple of weeks. Um you know, they were absolutely outstanding all over the pitch and they put so much pressure on Clare. But at the same time, there was a bit of a malfunction in Clare. Um, you know, they kind of were going away from what they were doing in Munster a bit. Look, they were so direct with the ball and that's what Kilkenny love. Um, 
I know from my own experience down through the years, and it's the way the Kilkenny players are brought up. They're it's they're used to man and man, you know, high field, and you know, beat your own man in their own position. And Clare kind of played into their hands that way. You know, they were just dumping the ball down the field. And fair enough, you had Peter Duggan in that uh, in the full far lane for Clare, but. You know, you Lawler and these lads just gobble up them high balls and uh, it's suiting them to the ground. So I would say, you know, 60% of it was Kenny's performance and the way they approached the game. And, you know, the other part of them was kind of clear, a bit of malfunction from what they were used to over the last couple of weeks. Do you think Clare got in their own heads a little bit in preparation for this game then, going away from what it was that had made them so brilliant in Munster over the last two months? I wouldn't say that. Like, you know... um, Clare, that's why their, their, their third appearance in Crow Park since 2013 final, including the 2013 final. So, um, you know what, you can't say that they probably got ahead of themselves. You know, it's just, I suppose, the pressure of and the occasion of the semi final. And then, obviously, again, as we spoke about, the pressure that Kilkenny put on them. And, you know, Kilkenny are used, that's Kilkenny's backyard for all the world after Nolan Park. You know, that's where they play all their hurling mostly. So, um, you know, they're well used to the occasion and the, 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 the surroundings, I suppose. And I suppose Clare probably the, the occasion maybe got from a small bit. Um, but you'd have to say, look, fair enough, Clare didn't produce what they have produced in Munster. Um, but Kilkenny definitely upped it. Oh, Skype has gone there to uh, to party. We'll get him back in a, in a second. I guess my, my point is trying to, did Clare overthink it a little bit? Like going away from the patterns of play that have been so spectacularly successful for them um, and maybe they weren't allowed to I don't know that's the that's the bit that we'll have to try and sift through over the next two weeks hmm. Well I guess the point still stands that Clare had 24 wides so that suggests that Kilkenny maybe weren't as bulletproof as the final result might suggest and you have to ask the question why did Clare have so many wides is that a combination of factors in terms of back in Crow Park the pressure Kilkenny exerted on them, the pressure of playing in an All-Ireland semi-final, or was it just an off day, maybe a combination of all of those sort of factors. But definitely a sense from Clare's point of view that, you know, if you if you even reduce that wide's tally by six or seven, you're kind of in the game and still hanging on, even when they were struggling uh, at various stages. Um, disappointing end to the season for them. Obviously, they exerted so much energy in the Munster Championship as well that maybe it just was a bridge too far. But, I mean, from Brian Cody's point of view, I mean, he has masterminded this again they're timing the run to perfection and it's not that long ago that you know we were saying that the Leinster Championship final against Galway was subpar in terms of its standard and then you see the turnaround in Kilkenny's performance the last day and uh, I think it's Eddie Brennan writing in the Independent this morning about how they love to have that four week break when he was playing as well that it was the ideal preparation time from a Kilkenny point of view and that you can get the previous fixture out of the system the lads can have a night out then you can have your training weekend and then these internal matches that we hear so much about yeah. from a Kilkenny point of view it though. sounds like they were doing a lot of that Yeah, that's what Cody was saying they were doing a lot of that Point Mars back with this um, point that, the point that Cahill makes about the wides that, that Clare had uh, again you know is that that malfunction that we're talking about a lot of that is on them some of it's on Kilkenny and that's the thing that's going to annoy them but it's also I wonder perhaps the thing that gives them a bit of comfort. They created a lot of chances and next time they're there, they'll actually be more used to the surroundings and they should be a bit, they should be able to score points at a, a higher clip. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, they, they produce a lot of, um, I suppose, chances. But look, I'd argue then as well that they had 24 wides, um, but probably 10 or 12 of them shouldn't even be taken on um, from the positions in the field, I felt myself. Um, but they did get a lot of opportunities and again, 
maybe it was just that obviously lack of execution, but you know, a bit of composure and the big day maybe as well. And the thing was getting away from them, you know, fairly early on. So, um, yeah, um, a lot of wides, and you can't afford to be shooting that amount of wides in a Lawrence semi final against Kilkenny, you know, especially with Kilkenny are so in form. The thing about the the growth of this Kilkenny team is that they've actually unearthed starters who are as good as anybody else in the country in almost every line of the of the pitch. Um, we, we've known for ages that uh, um, Edge is going to be really good. He got his injury. He's recovered from his injury. He's back to where he was. We've known for ages that Owen Cody was going to be good. They're two young hurlers of the year, but they're now like proper, they're men and they're playing like men. It's the defence that has added, uh, you know, stereotypical, teak-tough Kilkenny defenders who are not backing down uh, but who also have ball playing skills that are able to find little pockets of space for the man that they're passing to so is that what's transformed Kilkenny from a team who we didn't really think were genuine All-Ireland contenders into a team who now are All-Ireland contenders clearly Yeah you know definitely they've evolved their game uh, you know in the last few weeks definitely um, you know obviously Kilkenny were known for their you know more direct approach to the game um, but they're definitely you know mixing it up now with the short ball and um, you know, Richie Reid, centre-back there, sitting in the pocket, is definitely, you know, after changing their, their style, even in self alone, because, you know, he's able to give that long ball, obviously, but he's very good at picking out the, treading the ball through the middle of the field as well, the short 30 or 40 pass that opens up defences. So, um, they're definitely evolving. And as you said, they're, like, their they're units, their back unit was out, absolutely outstanding. You know, they have that grit determination that you associate with all the Kilkenny back lines, but, they're all well able to hurl, hurl themselves, you know, great ball players. You know, you can see, you know, Tommy Walsh, um, cornerback, Hugh Lawler is one of the best backs in the country. A young Mikey Butler's performance, you know, that spoke for itself, keeping Tony Kelly so quite so. Um, you know, they're absolutely outstanding hurlers individually, but as a unit, they're, you know, they're so gritty, determined, and, you know, they don't give you an inch or they don't give you anything soft. And, uh, I suppose that's what we've come to expect from Brian Cody teams down through the years. And, uh, you know, yeah, they definitely that performance is definitely after making them. You know, you know, putting them up in lights and and, and bringing them on another level or two on on Saturday there. How much does the semi final from a couple of years back in in 2019 actually matter? How much does it feed into any of the conversations that are happening in the Limerick changing room or even amongst the Limerick management team? Is it is there any relevance to that game at all to this game coming in two weeks? I I I, I think myself that it's Limerick will have that in the back of their minds that. You know, the, the one blip they've had since 2018 has been that game against Kilkenny in 2019. And, in you know, Kilkenny probably definitely deserved to win that day. You know, their work rate was absolutely savage that day because um, we'd been watching it because we were on the other side of the draw the same year. But I think Limerick will have that in the back of their minds. You know, obviously they're a very process-driven team and they know what goals they have ahead of them. But that will be in the back of their mind, I feel, as well, that, you know, lads, these lads put a stop towards in 2019. Um, you know we're going to get one over them they're probably the one team we haven't beaten uh, to win in All-Ireland so they'll probably want to polish it off win the three in a row by beating Kilkenny and they'll feel like they have it all everyone beaten en route over the last number of years and no one will be able to have any question marks over them after it so um, I think it'll play a small bit into the psyche of, of Limerick not a whole lot but it, it will be that small little you know bit prodding into them that like you know lads, we have to prove these lads wrong and prove everyone wrong and you know, um, I feel that it will give them a small bit of an edge going to the final. In a way, the semi-final, the performance from Galway was kind of the perfect tester for Limerick. It was right to the edge, 
but it wasn't perfect from Galway. Like Galway also will, will regret the wides that they had and, and taken on some shots and the shot selection wasn't great for them and at various stages when they really needed it to just be a little bit better. Uh, so Limerick have plenty to work on but they are true to the All-Ireland Final and they do have two key players returning who got a little bit of game time not much of an impact on the match yesterday but certainly you would expect um, uh, Lynch and Casey to be available for more hurling and more action in the final so what did you make of Limerick's performance? Yeah I suppose it was workman like um, individually to be probably a few players that probably weren't overly happy with the performance but I don't think they'll care at the end of the day um, they as a unit got the job done Galway threw everything at him in fairness to Galway, I was one of them that didn't give him a chance. I thought to be a seven, eight, nine point gap between the two of them at the end of the day. But Galway proved a lot of people wrong yesterday. In fairness to them, they put everything into it. Um, Bites probably came against them in the finish. Um, but Limerick will be so happy leaving there yesterday. I, you know, the clip of the final whistle going and Paul Connor embracing John Kiley and Paul Connor just uh, puffing out his cheeks, you know, in pure relief. Like they were just happy to get the job done get over Galway and get back to the final and um, look individually probably a few performance levels dropped Limerick but as a whole as a unit including the, the subs bench they all contributed to getting them over the line you know and as you said there getting Keane Lynch Peter Casey back in the field um, but the one man then the, the Galway lads forgot about was David Reedy and I think he changed the game for Limerick when he came on how how does somebody like Reedy come on and, and do that? Like, where what is it about this Limerick team that allows them to have players who are capable in in that instance where the team is up against it for the first time in a long time, really, in, in a match like where it's it's knockout and uh, I don't know, it's it's so it's so it's such a good sign of the culture that somebody is able to come on and have that impact. Exactly, yeah. Like, and they talk about this panel and and you know, twenty six man game and even the four or five lads that aren't talking in the day, you know, everyone contributes, you know, in training and that makes the team and the panel better for game day. And like, Limerick are showing that at the moment, like, you know, taking off Grod Hegarty, Tom Morrissey, Seamus Flanagan, Graham Mulcahy, all off the field, um, you know, in the forward line, you know, that's massive and you think Goller are doing, getting their job done but then they bring in the likes of David Reedy. I think he came on midfield so maybe it helped that he was finding pockets of space he was he was actually setting up moves and finishing off the moves in a couple of occasions, and he got some cracking scores. And maybe you know there was so much line and the Limerick forwards and the two lads that came on that maybe really got that bit more space than than that he was afforded. But um, that's just the culture they have, and everyone's contributing. And like, if anyone's to look on or any young fellas to look on, to just look at his contribution from deciding that look, you're not starting every day, but you're coming on, you're making massive contributions and. His contribution is, is one of the main reasons why Limerick are in the final. How will Galway feel this winter? Will they feel like they've made progress and that there's something starting or will they feel like that was a big chance blown? I'd say if, you put, if I put myself into a Galway pair of shoes now this morning or Henry Shefflin's, they'll probably feel like a missed opportunity that they had, you know, Limerick on the rack. You know, they were given everything. They were fighting, harassing, harrying all over the pitch that middle third. Um, especially in the second half um, they just didn't put them away they weren't clinic enough with you know, their shooting um, again near the end when they fell a point behind there was a few aimless long balls again similar to what they were doing the day before that probably you know played into Limerick's hands as Limerick was sitting back and that's the that's they're the times they're the moments you talk about throughout the year that you keep your composure maybe play the sh- one or two sharp passes and work a score like they'd done early on in the game you know and they just that just went away from in the end 
Um, so I feel like Galway will probably think it's a missed opportunity this morning. Um, you know, as I said, Limerick probably weren't firing all cylinders individually. And that was their opportunity, as I said, for their starting forwards taken off. Um, but again, you know, Galway probably will be disgusted, especially after losing the, the Leinster final. Um, you know, but again, I suppose they finish in a bit of a high that they, they perform, that they know they can get to that level and challenge the All-Ireland champions. So for Henry, there's, there's plenty to work on for next year. But, you know, there is a lot of, I suppose, positives there too that they can they can play with the best and mix with the best. Great mind games from uh, John Kiley in the interview that we played just before you came on there where uh, at the end of it, he was talking about Kilkenny. Obviously, being the form team heading into the All-Ireland, you're like, not sure anybody is going to be making uh, Limerick underdogs they can try, but I don't think it's going to work from uh, from Kylie and Canark's perspective. But look, as you said, there's a, there's that little chip on their shoulder about the fact that this could be a five in a row that they're going for. Instead, um, it's not because Kilkenny obviously interrupted it. So, how do you think the two teams match up? Yeah, I I think I think John Kylie's been um, he's playing a few mind games there already, and you know even Shane Dowling yesterday in the Sunday game was was had a few similar comments as well but look that's naturally going to happen with, with when teams are play, facing each other but matching them up look to me Limerick are favorites um I'd expect Limerick to win but nothing like what we thought they were going to with the Galway I think Kilkenny are going to come with all guns blazing um you know Brian Cody's after getting back into the Ireland final you go head to head player for player you know there probably isn't a whole pile in it individually um, obviously Limerick have a fantastic unit and a squad but then you see like Six Kenny then they have Walter Wall coming on you know Richie Hogan was held in reserve Killian Buckley was held in reserve you know Connor Fogarty was as well you know there's a lot of experience in actually Kenny bench as well so look Kilkenny are going to have the confidence too of 2019 of what they what they can do to Limerick when they when they bring all you know the, the, the aggression and work rate and um, you know but again it's going to be fascinating because as I said Limerick have probably that chip in their shoulder with Kilkenny um, but Kilkenny won't be afraid Kilkenny are never afraid of playing anyone and um, you know so it's the making of a fantastic game I just I, I, I think Limerick will win by a couple of points but again you you won't be surprised if Brian Cody pulls this out of the fire with Kilkenny and like to me if he does it, it could probably be his, his, his most best He's he's best all Ireland since since he took over Kilkenny, however it was twenty three or four years ago. Yeah, that is saying something. Park, great to have you with us this morning. Thanks a million for taking the call. Cheers. No matter, boys. Mind yourself. Tip legend Park Mara there giving us some thoughts at the weekend. It would be the greatest, wouldn't it? Absolutely, no question about it. And uh, I wonder, would that be the time to exit stage left? I don't know. I don't <laughs> know. You're not like, well, they're coming for my crown. I've got to defend it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's going to be a cracking final. Yeah. Uh, 9.30 this morning OTBM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day OTBM back tomorrow morning from half past seven co-located Owen is live from Adair Manor at JP McManus's Pro-Am we'll be talking more hurling alongside Kenny's David Herity Formula 1 latest with journalist Chris Medland and ex-tennis pro Jenny Claffey will be in studio chatting the women's side at Wimbledon OTB AM with Gillette get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar 